Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au. Predict Australia's score with a crystal ball. And it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals. All thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. This is the Saturday Session with Daniel McCarty and Grant Elliott. Yada folks, good morning. Welcome into the Saturday session, the 17th of September. Yeah, good morning to all the listeners. What a day. And a little bit of a raspy voice from you, Daniel. Yeah, 0800 Um, Help me out. I need to talk less. So maybe people can call in and talk to us. Oh, they love calling I'm a bit raspy. In. Yeah, you are. Yeah. Big week. Big week. Big week of sport. Did you watch the All Blacks? You start late for that one. Well, I must admit, at about 9.30 on Thursday night, I was starting to feel very old manish. I was like, oh, I'm not going to be able to watch this. I'm not going to be able to make it. Cup of tea? Or? Yeah, and I had a good hard look in the mirror. I was like, seriously, what have you become? <laughs> 9.30, and you want to go to bed. Get the kids like, out of bed. <laughs> but then I started watching, and I, I thought, mm, scrappiest first half, but it's locked up at 10 apiece. And then that second half just was mental, wasn't it? Oh, it's crazy. It's just more the end. It was the last five seconds, well, I think, I, that everyone wants to talk about. Yeah, but I, I, I think, actually, if you look at the anatomy of that whole second half, that, that was a very, very entertaining game of rugby. Clearly, a big moment at the end, for sure. That's what you're focused in on. Oh, massive. Oh, I just think it's controversial. I, I immediately started searching the Australian papers, going, I wonder how they feel. Because I don't know who it was, but I watched the, um, the trophy handover of the Bledisloe Cup. And whoever the guy was, he was very Australian, had the green and gold uh, scarf on. There was not a lot of smiling from him when he handed no. it over to Sam Kane. Is he holding on to it? And he had, yeah, he was holding on to it. He had a little silver goatee on, and he looked really filthy, absolutely filthy. Well, 0800 is our number. See, the uh, phones are already coming through. That is wonderful, Grant. People want to discuss that game. You know, I actually wrote uh, a full anatomy of that second half, Grant, and uh, I've only got a couple of lines on the last one. Um, Australia, all they had to do was manage the clock by kicking it out and winning a line-out and then probably booting it to touch. But of course, they never got the chance as Bernard Foley was adjudged to have deliberately wasted time and New Zealand were given a scrum five metres out. We know what happens next. Geordie Barrett scored in the corner, but don't sleep on the work of Will Jordan in that play to suck in two defenders and then uh, find an offlay to Barrett before Corabetti bit on defence. He drew in a third um, to give uh, Barrett a path to the finish line and with it sealing a famous, famous, famous win. Australia could have defended that last play a lot better. Will Jordan. Uh, we've got to find a way to get him involved a little bit more. Grant, I don't know how to feel about that call. It's probably right in 
the rule under the laws of the game, but it's never used. I didn't even. I must admit, I didn't even know that was really a thing. Well, I just, I just assumed a referee stopped the clock until they stopped wasting time. Well, that's what he said. That I. Well, he stopped he? the clock for about five or six seconds, didn't he? he said time off. Time off. him, and then said time on. Um, and there's about ten seconds before he gives the scrum, and there was at one stage he goes number ten. He's directly tr- trying to talk to Bernard. I don't, I don't know how to feel about it. How do you? Um, I felt confused at start. Yep. All the people that were around me, I said, what just happened there? What happened? I don't understand. What's going on? Um, and not everyone knew what was happening. But, I mean, maybe our listeners, uh, they yeah. have a view on this because it almost feels like in cricket, you know, there's a couple of funny rules like handled ball and obstructing field and that you never see. Well, um, you and Paul Collingwood, we should, we should get you guys on together. <laughs> uh, is it Paul first up? Tony. Tony or Paul? Paul G'day, Tony. Tony. G'day, Tony. How are you? Hey, how's it going, guys? We are great. Oh, that's great. So am I. Hey, I've, uh, I've just got you guys a new listener. Who's that? Oh, my son. He, 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 he started listening to it, and he, he, he's getting into it. So he wants to learn a lot more about his sport. Oh, what's his name? His name is Damien. Damien, I hope you're listening. Damien, a big shout-out to you. I'm pretty miserable with my shout-outs, but I welcome you to SENZ, Damien. Yeah, welcome, Damien. I look forward to speaking to you down the line, mate. Cheers, mate. Oh, look, he's gone. Simple as that. Fantastic. He's a bit bit shy. (laughs) That's okay. Uh, Have you got the radio on in the background? Can I get you to just turn it down a little bit? No, I've got it right down, mate. It might be a Good on you. Hey, We're calling on that, that's all right. That's all right, Tony. Did you did you watch the All Blacks? How did you feel about that? The way they won it. Uh, it was it wasn't great. I mean, to, to be honest, I don't think the All Blacks deserved to win that game uh, at the end. Um, you know, so uh, pedal to the throat just didn't happen, and it should have. You know. You know what. There was a bit of a collapse, and, and the way the game has finished is taken away from the fact, isn't it? They were 31-13 up, and what, 15-odd minutes later, the game's all locked up. It was quite an extraordinary comeback by Australia. You give them a lot of credit for that, but um, you know, if we're, if we're hard on the All Blacks, we, we, we probably want them to see that out much easier, don't we? Yeah, I think I think um, the Aussies, uh, if they didn't do that, you know, a couple of players didn't do a couple of silly plays and, you know, like the, the two thin binnings, I mean, um, that really hurt them. I, they, were, they were going toe-to-toe, and I think um, their, their, their um, scrum looked stronger early on, um, to me. Yeah. Uh, they, they Absolutely. Had the, uh, they, had the, they had the wood on them. Um, I, I think, you know, if, if that hadn't happened, I think um, I think the Aussies could have won maybe, maybe even quite comfortably. I really enjoyed their efforts of their back row too. They, they were great. Um, so, did you walk away getting a lot more sort of? Um, well, I'm not sure fear is the right word, but but you walk away thinking Australia were a lot better than you thought they were. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. I knew they they would be right from the get go. I mean, um, I, I took Australia on the pick the score that morning, and um, you know, I. I just about virtually had it if Bowley hadn't stuffed it up. So I mean, um, you know, Australia wasn't just Australia wasn't just rolled. I was too. 
Tony, are you a sort of dad that wakes up Damien early on in the morning for every All Blacks test? You know, whether it's 4.30 in the morning, 3.30, you're like, right, get up, son. It's time to support your country. Oh, I didn't have to wake him up. He was always up, ready to go. Oh, good lad, good lad. That's what we want to hear. Hey, um, on you, Tony. Thanks. I, I, thanks so, oh, so, you've got a point to make, please. Please, far away. Um, well, um, he, 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 he heard about these $50 bonus bet that you guys give away, and he, he's got a new TAB account, so... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Or Dan wants, or Dan wants the job on his own. I love it, Tony. <laughs> uh, good on you, mate, and thanks so much for calling in, and welcome aboard, Damien. We look forward to hearing from you. We'll chuck you an old good on you, mate. I think we can go to Dean now. Dean, do you care how the All Blacks won? Yeah, mate, clearly I do. And uh, I feel a bit sorry for Bernard Foley. Like, 30 seconds isn't a huge amount of wasting time. There's a lot in that game. Every time, I know it's instant as the wording for a free kick or a penalty, but it's never instant. They always talk to the captain and decide whether they're kicking for a five-metre line-out for a drive at the try line or they're going to have a shot at goal. And he was in the process of kicking it when the referee put the whistle to his mouth. Now, he could have pulled that out, went to the line-out, stopped the clock, took time off and said to the however they do it nowadays, either give us 30 more seconds before you ring the buzzer, or I'm doing it myself on my own watch, tell all the cap, both captains, they're all aware of what's going on, and give Australia a chance to hold on. I'm not saying that the All Blacks couldn't have won that line out at all, because we'll never know that. And they would have continued exactly. that because their fights depended on it. So it's just, they robbed the game of the ending that it deserved. And I'm really concerned that at 31-13, the All Blacks couldn't put them away. That'd be more of a concern for me than anything else. And the other point I'd like to make is Caleb Clark clearly isn't there yet. So Tutu's miles away. Kerry Iwani should be sent back. They all should go back to Auckland. If they want to give Roger Tuivasa shit a go, put him on that wing. He's not ready for the midfield. He probably never will be, in my opinion. But he could play... an international rugby league fullback can play on the wing in any rugby team he likes. He's got the high ball skills. He doesn't have a kicking game, but he'll beat a man on the outside. He's got a ton of gas. And for me, he could replace Caleb Clark if they got to put someone somewhere. But with the injuries I've sustained, Forster's now in a hell of a spot because he might have to pick the team we all want to see. Artie might have to go to seven. Jacobson could go to eight. Fazel uh, back to six because we need some brutality to match those. Astra- they were outstanding. Mm. They were absolutely outstanding. That boy Valentino, I listened to him. Oh, yeah. When, they, when the Chiefs played the Brumbies, and it was a must win for the Brumbies in Hamilton, and Sam Kane's name was mentioned twice in that entire game on the radio. Once mm. when they announced the team, and 20 minutes into the second half, Valentino's name was mentioned every time there was a breakdown. So I've never seen him play. I watched the Super Rugby semi-final against the Blues, and he hurt his shoulder. He went into the game with a shoulder injury, I believe, and he hurt it cleaning out, and he went off after about five or ten minutes. So that boy is something special. And I'd felt sorry for Rennie in the sense that, let's be honest, that was Australia B, and the way the game panned out, they, they should have had the opportunity to win. I wouldn't go as far as to say they should have won it, but they should have been given the opportunity to win it, considering where they got to. But that last penalty, for me, was wrong when Valentino's not supporting himself over Dalton. His knees are in his back. And I believe the decision was made by the referee because 
he clearly got the call wrong and seen it on the big TV when the fullback scored. But totally knew it as well. But he kicked the conversion. I've never seen a goal-kicking conversion kick without any camera on it whatsoever. And I've watched the game <laughs> as long as you got. So I think he was in a position where, shit, I've got to give the All Blacks a chance here. And that was in the back of his mind why he blew the whistle. He had no reason to. He's putting it in his mouth, and Foley's moving forward to kick the ball. Let him kick it. What a performance from Foley that's going to be sullied by that last incident. This guy's been out of what Test Rugby since the World Cup, Dean. Um, I thought he was really, really good. Um, and I, you know, I know it's the opposition team and stuff like that, but I don't, I don't like it when you know the loss is heaped on one player. I, I you know, I, I can be empathetic. I might not come across as that, Grant, but I, I kind of do feel for Bernard Foley. I don't know how you feel. Yeah, well, well Dean, I mean. We've had someone on the show, Brendan Nell from South Africa, and he said it was a massive call and one that in 26 years of covering rugby I've never seen. It shouldn't have been a call that settled the game, but it was. Every AB supporter will say it was fair. Every Australian supporter the opposite. As a neutral to me, it was wrong. So that's what Brendan Nell thought about that last call. And what I'm hearing from you as well, and we've heard it for oh, the last two months, is that we've got an unsettled All Blacks team at the moment. We haven't settled on a consistent team and we don't know our best 15. Absolutely we don't. And the thing that annoyed me out of the whole thing, I feel sorry for Bruno Foley. He should never have been put in that position. He's doing the right thing by his team. Like, I'm wanting him to do that. When you, before you open your mouth and comment on these things, you've sort of got to pretend you're the other way around. And we would be livid if that happened to us. The Forster's comment, honestly, I'd like to do some adjectives that I won't on the radio. That just sums up why no one, or not many like him. He should have come in and said just what you said, what um, Rennie said. You know, a game like that, the referee shouldn't be controlling it. And he, what, he was putting, like I said, he was putting his whistle in his mouth, and it was 35 seconds. That's not a lot of time wasting in the modern game. A scrum takes five minutes. So let's oh. Let's clean our studs. Let's clean our studs for the 15th time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And let's walk to a line out and then we'll have a discussion when we get there and three will go out and then four will go back in and the numbers are all to hell. We only get about 17 minutes of game anyway, so let's not dine out on that too much. The referee made a howling error of the try to the fullback. That was a shocker. Holy let the ball go. Great line by the fullback, but at the end of the day, the full pass. The 22 line was there to prove it. He let it go attacking side of the 22 line. They got fullback, picked it up on the other side of the line. Well, any re- replay is going to show that. Whitelock was in the process of asking for it. Foley kicked the goal. He's a genius. Absolute genius. That time out of the game. Yeah, I think, I think you're right there, Dan. I think, there was, I think it did go forward. Hey, good to chat, Dan. I really do appreciate your thoughts, mate. Go enjoy your Saturday. Thanks, Dino. 14 minutes after 10. Oh, 800, 150, I always find it funny how often in, in sport, ah, it all... Swings and roundabouts, it all evens out. <laughs> At the end, there was a bad call there. It went against us. We get this. That's, that is the that is two wrongs make a right, isn't it? It's, it's a bizarre sort of mindset sports fans have. Well, well, oh, there was a mistake in the 58th minute, so that makes this mistake in the 79th okay. Well, well, don't, you, don't you find it's a, <laughs> it's a bad LBW decision? And that's a bad LBW decision. If, if they're both wrong, they're still both bad decisions, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. But I know that in cricket, we always used to think too close to LBW shouts yeah. that we thought, oh, that, that, that was like one of them was maybe out. We know the umpire's going to make up for it. Yeah. You went, oh, that was close. Maybe I should have given that out. The third one 
Don't let it hit you on the pads because he's going to give you. Or in consecutive balls. Yeah. And you don't you want to w- get struck in the same place in consecutive yeah. balls. Yeah. So you wonder if refs and umpires do make up for mistakes that they make. Like it has to, and it will be really interesting getting them on the show. They will never admit it though. The NBA, the NBA is probably, uh, I've long contended this, the NBA is magnificent for that. The NBA makeup call. Uh, ben Francis, good morning to you. You agree with me on that, won't you? Oh, I totally do. You make one bad call at one end of the court, that they'll level things up at the other. Oh, it's incredible. You know, you watch the end of some games and the players literally get away with smacking each other in the face and just all sorts, and it's, it's bizarre. But I feel like this call... Now that this precedent's been set, now we have to see it consistently. And I know, yeah, you're right. I, I know throughout this game, and I know in other games as well. I've seen players take way longer to make decisions and, and get on with play. Mm. And the fact that that was made in, at the end of such a tight game, when usually all the rules are just thrown out the door and no one cares, I, I was quite uh, shocked by it. And I feel like that the All Blacks getting the win kind of papers over the cracks again of the, the major issues in the team because they're like, okay, great, we've retained the Bledisloe Cup. Great, we've got it another year. But as Dean said and Tony said, the All Blacks shouldn't have blown that lead at 31-13 and how well, much they were in control. And then as soon – when the All Blacks are in control, they seem to be magnificent. It was, we saw it at the start of the second half, but one mistake and they're on the back foot. They just crumbled. When Moanga kicked yep. the ball out on the full, things just absolutely imploded. And there are so many concerns about the team, but we're too busy celebrating. Oh, yeah, we got a call and we won the game. But that shouldn't be the case. Yeah, my notes are right. With three minutes to go, New Zealand was staring at a loss, which should be described as a collapse. Um, and in some ways, uh, should still be heavily examined as to why they went from 31-13 up to 37-31 down. You know, Australia, you know, were part of that and, you know, you bow down to them. Um, I, I, I'm not willing to put it in the howler category as far as refereeing decisions because I, I think there's an argument in the rules that, that there is basis for that to make that call but it's just so weird as Ben has articulated we, we never see it uh, and right now uh, next time I watch I'm going to have to stop watch out every time he awards a penalty I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit the stop watch yeah. well, uh, and go well no, Bernard Foley the Bernard Foley rule I do wonder but if I'm, he's left and lastly sorry Grant I'm awful speeding up the game I'm all for it. Yeah, totally. I, I want them to do it from the first minute of the game. And uh, the Irish journalist, uh, I don't even know what his first name is, Rowdry, Rowdry, Rowdry O'Connor, he said, if this is the beginning of a war on time-wasting, then bring it on. If it's a once-off, out-of-the-blue, never-to-be-repeated decision, then it's bonkers. And I just hope that, Rynell, I haven't heard how safe he is getting out of Australia, but, um, yeah, I, I'm sure that he would have had a nice little... Leaver's gift at customs from all those rugby fans because, yeah, you make a decision like that. That is a gutsy decision for him to make as a as a referee. I'd love to have him on the show. Foley mm. could have just kicked it out. Though. He could have. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's why it's such a bizarre, fascinating sort of into. Uh, I thought a, a really entertaining uh, second half, especially first half's pretty scrappy. If you've not seen the game, just fast forward to half time. Just watch it. It's ten all at the half. Um, New Zealand come exploding out of the gate, Australia come roaring back, uh, gripping finish, really entertaining stuff. Uh, keep your calls running, uh, rolling in, um, 0800 150 811. I'll give you a rundown of what's happening on the show a little bit later. Uh, our Saturday session legend, we are speaking to an absolute legend of rugby. He's played for two nations at two different World Cups, one for Western Samoa as it was back in 1991. He played for the All Blacks, uh, played in the 1995 World Cup final. 
Um, Frank Bunce joins the program to talk about his extraordinary career. Royalty joining us. Oh, I remember him in the 95 World Cup. He was one of the legendary players that came to the shores of South Africa um, and actually played in a four ball. I think it was him. It was definitely Olo, Olo I want to say Brown. Well done. I was going to say Wood, Olo Brown. Um, biggest calves I've ever, ever seen. seen. Oh, and they were they were in the golf carts playing around the golf. He wouldn't have done a Johnny Bairstow walking between tee boxes. <laughs> no, no, definitely not. Not with those calves. A lot of stability. But Frank Vance was one of the, the legends of the game. Like when South Africa came back from obviously the sanctions and watching a player of his caliber, but to have a player of his caliber on this show as well. Also, no, got a, legend segment. also got a great guest for you later this hour. We'll cover off the NRL. We'll do it with current England rugby defence coach, Anthony Seabold, of course. Uh, leagues remember him from his time with the Rabbitohs and uh, the Broncos. Uh, he's part of the SEN uh, commentary stable. He's going to join us about 20 to 11 to talk the NRL plus, including a big win for the Eels last night. Uh, embarrassing the Raiders. Uh, 40 points they put on them. We go to Bruce first. Good morning, Bruce. Gentlemen, good morning. Um, yeah. Interesting. Um, I think so many people, especially Dean, are missing the whole point um, of why the referee um, made that call. He he warned the player several times. He asked him to hurry up and do it. And it took over 30 seconds. Three times, I think, he said something to him. And And he had the balls to act on his officiating and made the call. But it was all about the time of the game. Obviously, it was only a minute and a half to go. That's why he was trying to waste the bloody time. Not it would have been in fifteenth minute of the game. It would have been irrelevant. So that's the whole point of it. And that's why referees have to make a decision in the last three, four, five minutes of a game. So, but time wasting is time wasting. Does it matter if it happens in the fourth minute or the seventy ninth? They are equal, are they not? No, one second there equals the one second in the second half. Time wasting in the fourth minute of a game has n- has really no immediate impact. If, if you other than wasting if time, one, if you've got a minute and a half to go and you're trying to use up forty, fifty seconds of it, at that point, the the possibility of the opposing team to actually get a result out of it is way, way lower. So that's the point of it. Mm. That's simply the point. Yeah, so, well, Bruce, and I've, I've tried to say you know, I'm not comfortable with how the decision. I can understand why he made it. Um, do you do you care how they won? You just take the win. You grab the low and sprint I'm, away gleefully, going with the best laser again. Look, I, I'm more really angry and annoyed at the the. The bloody king hits that some of those that that dirty player did when he went and um, kicked oh, the guy on the ground. On, that oh, that yeah, was absolutely. That was disgraceful. How did he not? A weak gutter dog. That was simply weak gutter dog, isn't that what Ricky Stewart said? I think that's that. That's just a that, bonehead thug play. Is that high performance sport? I mean, it couldn't be furthest from from the truth. It's also the inconsistency of the. Uh, the players getting turnovers on the ground several times. On, I think on both sides, they initially had hands or they were supported on the ground. 
So that was that's that's another rule that really needs to be cleared up. It's always an issue. The, hey, can I, can I, anything else? Yeah. Anything oh, else you'd hey, like look, to say? It's disappointing you you, you get up uh, get a good lead like you did. There's still something seriously um, wrong with with the control and the leadership on the field. And I'm absolutely sure Sam Kane is not the person. It's just not working. Uh, it's just not right. It just doesn't look right. It doesn't feel right. And that. Interesting thoughts, Bruce. I appreciate your time, my friend. Go enjoy your Saturday. Thanks so much for joining us here on SENZ. Thanks a lot, Bruce. Uh, It's 23 after 10. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, listening. I think Bruce is one of those All Blacks fans that, um, you know, I might be wrong, but when we win, it's like we can still do heaps better. And I think most All Blacks fans, the, the feeling that I'm getting is that we're a little bit, aggrieved and a little bit disappointed at where the team is at at the moment because we actually want perfection. We want a high-performing team that is world-dominant. And if it's not that, then we're disappointed, which is not a bad thing. But at the same time, I guess you have to look at you know what we're doing well. You know, Bruce brought up leadership. Um, we heard earlier from uh, Dean about you know the positions. We don't have a consistent team. We don't know what our best 15 are. There's a whole cocktail of issues going on in the team, and it's up to the leadership. It's up to Foster and the team, the new mm. support staff with Sam Kane to get that right. And maybe losses are not a bad thing. Maybe that's, you know, if you, you're losing, you're actually learning. Right, we'll oh, take we a, hope. We'll take a break. It's 24 minutes after 10 o'clock. Our number is 0800 811. Our text is double eight double three. Anthony Seabold still to come this hour as we cover off the NRL. Back after this. 29 minutes after 10 o'clock. Uh, Brett makes a good point, and, and uh, I think this is reiterated. Uh, here we go. So Sam Kane has called out for his on-field leadership when he wasn't even on the field. <laughs> that is an important point to point out. Hard to lead when you're actually not playing, right? Leadership is collective. Um, yeah, I, We've discussed this on the show before. I, I think we get a little bit too obsessed with rugby about the guy with the C next to his name. Yeah. Well, he said leadership is a collective responsibility, yeah. and it's totally right. Yeah. It's coach, captain, senior players. And I think that that's what maybe Dean was saying as well, is we don't really know. There's probably a lot of players that are unsure of their position. So it's very difficult to lead when you don't even know if you're going to be in the team the next week. So you have to find that real collective group of leaders to take this team forward. Our number is 0800 G'day, Jono. Thanks for holding through the break, mate. Really kind of you. Hey, Dan. How, hey, Grant. How are you? Oh. Hi, Jono. Um, so I, I want to talk a few things about uh, just the last, I guess, few minutes, obviously. But no one seems to be talking about Rob Valentini. If you look closely at their last mall, he actually just basically tripped over and collapsed that mall. He did it really well because no one seemed to notice. Um, so it's a bit of, I guess, a bit of justice in, um, in that. Um, and I'm just wondering, what do you guys think about intention in terms of how do you judge in terms of Darcy Swain, how do you judge whether it was intentional or not? Like, is there is that part of the yeah. rules in rugby or? Oh, I find it's really hard to judge intent for anything. So you've got to, yeah. you kind of go off a gut feel, don't you, Jono? And when, and when you see a swinging arm load up, that, that strikes me as someone who was trying to strike someone. 
that's my logic. Yeah. I'm not a referee, and I think heavens, I'm I'm not, and the general public's probably in agreement. In agreement, Grant. Well, I, I yeah. also think that when you slow it down in slow motion, it looks way worse than it does in you know uh, real speed. Real speed, it, things happen so quickly, and it doesn't look like there was intent. But when you slow it down, I always think, and especially those head-to-head, um, you know, tackles. Suddenly, you've got a backline player who changes direction with a mm. goose step, and you slow it down, and it looks really bad. It looks like he's gone in quite high. There's a forward, but th- he actually hasn't had time to react. So it's hard to to judge yeah. intent there. So, so John, I'll put you on the spot. Your TMO, you see that you see a guy going into a ruck from low to up. Do you think it's a dog move, as most New Zealanders have, or, or do you actually think well, maybe he's trying uh, to get do. under the defender <laughs> and actually get some leverage? Oh, I don't know about... I mean, the thing is, is that, no, like, how many times do you see people tackling in that in that way that he did? He went in with a, a sort of elbow inverted, which is, I believe, is that a chicken wing tackle? I'm not sure, but... You don't need to do that. It's not necessary. And that basically, because of that style, his tackle, Tupai is out for nine months. I believe if he tackled a standard, he, you know, it would have been a different result. Um, and the second well, thing he's I also come from about... the side, hasn't he, Jono? Yeah. Like, he's come from the side. Yeah. There was nothing legal about that it. Right. That's, that's the thing. Everything is wrong from the outset. Yeah. And just one other thing quickly. Um, Caleb Clark, I've... The guy is an amazing ball runner. One of the he's probably one of the best runners you'll ever see with an oval ball. But the guy just seems to you know he just seems to make the wrong decisions when it's at the end of his run, whether it's a bad pass or it's um, just running away from his support. I wish that he could just maybe just focused a little bit better. And if he did, he'd be one of he'd be so devastating. But um, yeah, thanks guys. That's all I want to talk about. So, uh- cheers. Good on you, Jono. Thanks, Jono. Hey, uh, we'll take one more, I think, before we get to a break. Remember, Anthony Seabold is joining us. Uh, we really do appreciate everyone calling in. We might not get to everyone. We apologise uh, on that front. G'day, Dave. G'day, man. Hey, um, look, I wasn't that impressed with the performance, if you think that the Aussies are missing uh, eight frontline players and probably the best seven in Hooper. Um, Dave Rennie's coaching abilities uh, shone out. Um you can't blame Sam Kane for everything. There's leadership groups within within the team that should be, you know, helping him. We never blamed Richie McCaw if something went wrong. And the other thing, in some of these injuries, they might be a blessing in disguise. We might see, you know, guys playing in their proper positions. You know, Will Jordan might get a shot at 15. And uh, Jordy did pretty well when he came into second five. He was only on there for about a minute. And Moonga scores under the post. So, you know, it'll be good to see what we do this Saturday. But... I'd be weary. I'd be weary. Now, as for that guy, Swain, geez, he should, he should be, uh, they should make him stay off as long as um, Pye takes to get recovered. Hey, thanks, Dave. Appreciate it. Go enjoy your day. We'll take yeah, one mate. more. Joe, the floor is yours. Morning, boys. How's it going? Yeah, great, Morning, thanks. Joe. Mate, I'll tell you one thing. Darcy Swain should have been sent off. When he comes to that ruck, first time, comes in with the head. Right, there's head contact, and you, and you, and that's when Tupai reels out of it, and then two, and then uh, Quinn gets back up and stands over the ball, and then he takes out his leg. So <clears throat> then my moan about the uh, decision at full time should have been 14 men from that from that time on. 
you replay that ruck, he comes in there and he hits two pie in the head, reels out of it, and then fucking breaks his knee. So now he's gone for how many, how many months? Joe, that's what I thought they were looking at. Did you think that's so? What I thought they that, were looking that, at. That's what they were looking exactly. at. And we were going, and I was thinking to myself, here we go, we're going to have one of those controversial head knock. When, you know, I've seen those carded. I've seen those carded. But, you know, Quintipire, where he's at, he's not expecting someone to, to hit him from the side, right? Um, he, he, he's, he can't brace himself, and my heart just goes out to him. You really feel for, for Tupai, don't you? Nobody expects you to come in from the side and, and break your knee. Nobody. Look at all the hundreds of games that are played every week in New Zealand. Nobody does that. You know, it's a dog move, right? He's an absolute bludger, and he should have been gone for a red card. And I suspect, you, you know, you look at that double action, three months, six months suspension, whatever it's got to be, never mind the games. And it's, it's just an absolute dog move, and it costs our man who came on probably his World Cup chance. Good on you, Joe. Appreciate it, mate. Thanks so right, much. We'll take a break. break. It's tw- thank you. 20, yeah, thank you. 24 away from 11 back after this. 20 minutes away from 11 o'clock. Let's turn our attention now to the NRL. We'll reopen the lines after 11. Lots of calls coming through. We love your calls. Thanks so much for that. But we've got a splendid guest on right now. Uh, he knows the NRL inside and out. That's why he's part of the SEN family. He was there uh, last night, Grant, uh, helping our coverage uh, for the game in Sydney. As the Eels put on 40 against the Raiders. I thought this was the, the playoffs, Grant. Uh, a bit lopsided. We've got the Sharks and Rabbitohs later tonight. We welcome in former Rabbitohs, former Broncos uh, coach. I think defensive coach of the English rugby team these days. What can Anthony Seabold not do? Um, he's uh, so kind to give up his time. Anthony, welcome aboard. Good day, Anthony. Good morning, Daniel. Morning, Grant. Good, good to be on the chat. Four- a 40-spot on the Raiders. Come on. What what happened there? Out. How did this happen? 40 points to four. The Eels, far too slippery. It's far too strong. It's quite surprising. The start of the game, the physicality of the Parramatta Eels, particularly led by their number eight, number 10, Regan Campbell-Gillard and Ginger Palo, they were outstanding through that middle third. And it just created so much momentum for, for the power team to, to play off the back off. So uh, going into the game, I really thought that the Raiders had the momentum. They, they'd won five games in succession and they were outstanding away from home down in Melbourne last week. So... Yeah, really surprised by the uh, the, the final scoreline, and um, but it was built off the back of the the Parramatta Eels forward pack. Um, and I thought Dylan Brown, the young Kiwi number six, was outstanding as well. Hey Anthony, I mean my rugby league knowledge is not as great as uh, my host Daniel McCarty. Well, it's a bit like your test batting, really. Yeah, a little bit like my test batting. But um, what I always hear with rugby league is that the first half sets up the game, and then you win it in the second half. But in the first quarter, we saw four tries, so. Um, the Eels well ahead. I mean, how difficult is it to come back from that as a as a um, opposition team? Yeah, it's really challenging. One thing about Parramatta Eels, when they win, when they win well, they often win big. And, and um, you know, we saw last night it was twenty two nil after around twenty minutes, and, and it could have been twenty eight nil. Clint Gutherson, the fullback for Parramatta, was pulled back for a forward pass. So it's really hard to turn momentum. Uh, you know, look, rugby, rugby league, rugby, rugby union at the moment, when teams have momentum, they can score points in, in, in chunks. And, and that's what Parramatta did early in the game. So really difficult for, for the Canberra Raiders to, to get back into the contest. It's really interesting. Noddy Kamali, one of our commentators last night, interviewed Josh Papalini, the front row for Canberra post-game. Mm. And, and uh, Big Papa, who is a real leader for the Canberra side, he said that he didn't know, or they didn't know how to, um, regain momentum. You know, it was really interesting to hear him too. because was a great interview by Noddy after the game. He just, he just said we couldn't, we couldn't rein in that momentum that Parramatta were creating. And 
um, you know, once you're behind by by a big margin, it's uh, it's really difficult. You can't uh, you know score some points in, in chunks. But you look at these two teams in the pool stages, and does that even matter? Like previous historical games, because. The Raiders were leading the Eels 18-16 when they played them and then eventually lost 20-28. But do we take much from previous games in the competition leading into uh, grand finals time? I don't think so. I think one of the things... Um, you know, when it's sudden death like last night, you know, both teams are really desperate. And in the local Sydney media during the week, and you guys may, may not have seen some of this, but there was probably about 24 hours out from the game, there was a lot said in the media around about Parramatta and... There had been leaked report, and uh, you know, that there was Brad Arthur, Brad Arthur's finals coaching record put under the microscope. So all the all the sort of signs pointed towards the Canberra Raiders, um, you know, coming in and, and causing an upset at Combank Stadium. But um, yeah, I don't think results early in the year matter. This time of year, sudden death um, it brings out the best in, in individuals and, and teams collectively. And we've seen you know some of that already over um, you know, the, the first couple of games of the finals last weekend and, and, and last night's game. Anthony Siebold is with us as we talk the NRL playoffs. Big win for the Eels over the Raiders. Uh, We've got to give huge props to the Eels attack. We already have. But Raiders fans will be thinking, how on earth can we concede, as Grant has pointed out, four tries in the opening quarter, but give up 40 points overall? So defensively, were there lots of mistakes? Or is it all about the attacking side in your mind, Anthony? You're the defensive specialist after all. Well, one of the things last night that really stood out, so the ball players, so Dylan Brown in the six, Mitchell Moses in the number seven, Hank Gubbins in the fullback, what they did exceptionally well was that they really dug into the line. So for our listeners at home, the more you can dig into the line as a ball player, the, the more you hold up defenders, and they did that exceptionally well. So the Raiders were quite passive on the edges. So, you know, Parramatta Eagles, they had an advantage by how deep the ball players were digging into the line. So I thought that they did that exceptionally well. Uh, and Canberra weren't able to correct their defence on the run. So one thing that you want to do when ball players want to dig into the line, you want to put inside pressure on. And what inside pressure does, it makes the ball play just that little bit earlier. So I think about two or three steps earlier, gives your edge defenders more time. So that was one of the things we saw there. The other thing we saw was the momentum that Campbell Gillard and Junior Parlow created from the middle. So in rugby league, when you get a quick play of the ball, it's so much easier for your ball players to back off. And, um, yeah, and Canberra couldn't handle that. They just, they just couldn't handle that, that physicality, and, and the game got away from them early. And as I said, you can score points in chunks in the NRL. And even saw, you know, the Bledisloe Cup on Thursday evening, you know, both teams, when they have momentum, are able to score chunks of points, and it's the same in the NRL. Grant has asked about, you know, round-robin play, how much you take out of it. When I look at the ladder, the Sharks and the Rabbitohs, who play later tonight, the Sharks finish seventh, the Rabbitohs finish... Uh, sorry, the Sharks finished second, the Rabbitohs seventh, but yet most of the, the totes out there have the Rabbitohs favourites for this one. For the uninitiated, why would the number seventh place side um, have so much sort of faith in the market out there in your mind? Well, I think one of the big things is Latrell Mitchell. So the fullback for the South Sydney Rabbitohs is just, he's one of the most entertaining players in the game. And he, he Rabbitohs um, form... In the first half of the year, was quite inconsistent. And Latrell uh, Mitchell missed a, a real chunk of games. I think it was about eight or nine games. He went to the States. He went to America to rehab his hamstring, which has been problematic for him over the last couple of seasons. Now, since his return, the South Sydney Rabbitohs have, have had a real rich vein of form. Now, these two teams played at Shark Park probably about a month ago now. And Nico Hines, the halfback for Cornell Sharks, kicked the field goal in Golden Point to get the result. I think it was 21-20 from memory. But I think... People see that Latrell Mitchell and Cody Walker, who's the five-back for South Sydney, they're two big game players. 
that played a lot of big games. Like Cody played in the grand final last year. He's been to four consecutive preliminary finals. Latrell Mitchell's won two premierships, played Origin and been outstanding at that level. So I just think people see that there's some really big superstars for South Sydney who can turn the game. Anthony, I mean, we're talking finals time here. I would have thought that the collective is probably more important, but you bring up a lot of individuals. How important are individuals going into these big clash games? Well, I think the collective gets them there. And you're right. Look, it, it takes a team performance, you know, to, to build that consistency during the year and you get to the goal. I think in big games, red teams are quite evenly matched. You look to your, your game breakers because the defence is, you know, and, and, and it's quite abnormal, you know, 40 points being scored in a, in a, in a semi-final last night. But generally speaking, this time of year, the best four defensive sides get through to, the, you know, to that, those um, you know, key playoff matches. And Cronulla Sharks have been in the top three defensive uh, teams all year. So they will take time and space away from, from South Sydney Rabbitohs. But as I said, when the collectors are quite even, you look to your big game players. And I think for South Sydney, it's, it's Cody Walker and Latrell Mitchell. For Cronulla Sharks, it's Nico Hines, the number seven, the ex-Melbourne Storm player. He's been super consistent. And in the big moments in games this year that Cronulla Sharks have won, like the goal point against the Bunnies a few weeks ago, it's, it has been Nico Hines stepping up. So I think they're three players to to watch, and, and they could be the difference between uh, winning and losing for their, their respective teams. Anthony, out of treat having you on the show. Thanks so much for all the knowledge uh, that you've dropped on us. Enjoy the remainder of the playoffs, mate. Keep up the great work on SEN. Thanks a lot, Anthony. Good on you, guys. Great to chat, guys. Thanks, Anthony. You. Anthony Seabold, of course, former Rabbitohs Broncos coach, uh, now defence coach for the English rugby side and part of the SEN family looking at the playoffs. The Eels, uh, utterly brilliant performance, 40 points to four over the Raiders. That was last night. Tonight, it is the Sharks. Uh, there are no lemon fish this year. There is a bit of bite to their defence. All those puns utterly intended and really bad. Um, uh, up against the Rabbitohs. Um, and that one kicks off at 10 o'clock. Who have you got for that one? Uh, I'll go the Sharks. Yeah. Defence wins championships. Yeah. Surely someone's going to make a tackle after last night. <laughs> bit, of, bit of touch, but yeah, really passive on the edges, uh, the Raiders, uh, as Anthony pointed out. It's 10 away from 11, back after this. Gee, the first hour's gone quickly. Grant, it's already six away from 11. Yeah, but that's because we've got so many irate supporters of the All Blacks oh, phoning in. Oh, I thought there was a nice balance to it. Yeah, no, it was there was all actually. sides covered. I'm being unfair, but I think, as I said, people are just disappointed when the All Blacks lose, and when they win, they also kind of disappointed because yeah. we didn't win by enough but I think we're just trying to find the right combination so everyone's talking about the right things like leadership combinations you know obviously the refereeing decisions yeah, I, I can't get beyond that I actually I'm not caring that much about leadership and combinations this week I, I'm still struggling to how I feel about that for example all those people who are like you know not happy with the call if it was four minutes to go before stumps in the boxing day test and Australia's mm. nine down after Grant Elliott's just come out of retirement and trapped David Warner, LBW, for 99. Swung back at Swung him. back in Roughly. a long way, uh, all cock a hoop. And then Josh Hazelwood takes three and a half minutes to wander out, leaving only 30 seconds on the clock. And New Zealand appeal for timeout. Well, there is that rule, isn't there? And they, and they give him out. We don't often see that. Would it be harsh? Probably. Would we care? I don't think New Zealand fans would give one... Toss. Not against Australia. Not against the Australian cricket side. What I will tell you is that's one of my worst nightmares. Sporting what? nightmares. So I get a I get a nightmare about being timed out. Oh, hold on. We're about to get timed out. The music's playing. I have to ask you about sporting nightmares. Are these a thing? Yeah. No, absolutely. Okay. Well, hold tight. On the other side, Grant Elliott will tell us a sporting nightmare.
and we'll hear more from you, we hope, on 0800 And Frank Butts is our legend next hour. 11am, second hour of the show, 17th of September 2022. My name is Daniel McCarty. I'm Grant Elliott. I love it when Ben Francis plays a few tunes at the top of the hour. It's always good. Always good? Yeah, it's the way to go. We spoke about dreams and nightmares, yeah, didn't we? Yeah, I, I used the timed out as an example of a, a very rarely used law that could lead to a victory. Mm. And then you've mentioned being timed out cricket as your worst nightmare. You yep. literally have dreams about this. So for, I guess, the listeners that don't understand the rule in cricket is that, obviously, you don't want a player taking as long as they want to get to the crease because oh, it would 40. be, it would it be well. time-wasting. You know, especially if the game's reaching to you know towards the end of the the day five, let's say in a test match. So, from what I understand, you have to get over the boundary in two minutes and cross the outgoing batter. Um, and then I think you read out that it was three and a half minutes to get to the actual crease. And if you don't, the fielding team can appeal. So someone can say, how's that? The umpires will then look at their watch, confer, and they can give you out. I've never seen it done. But this would be similar to you know what happened in the Australia All Blacks Test match. Yeah, Law 40. To be exact, after the fall of a wicket or the retirement of a batter, the incoming batter must, unless time has been called, be in position to take guard or for the other batter to be ready to receive the next ball within three minutes of the dismissal or retirement. Yeah. So I used to get these dreams where, well, they were nightmares, where you were next into bat, and all of a sudden, someone got dismissed, and you had to go out to be bat, but you didn't want to be timed out, and you're trying to put your pads on and pad up, and you just can't, no matter how hard you try, you just can't get the straps on and the gloves, and yeah, and it, you end up waking up, but it's an awful feeling. So you never actually get out in no. the middle, and you're, so this is a reoccurring stress dream. Re- reoccurring stress dream that I've, ne- I've never made it to the middle. I always wake up, and I'm like, oh. Sure, it's just a dream. Because <laughs> you do have that panic. I mean, you know, when you think about, um, you know, New Zealand being dismissed for 45 in, um, at Newlands, you'd be having your coffee and a toasted sandwich and suddenly four wickets get dismissed and you're number seven. You have to sprint to the change room. You're on the other side of the ground or something to go get padded up. It's a horrible feeling, awful. I'd hate to think about all the batters that came out to bat after Grant during his test career then. Well, they were always padded up. The spirit, spirit thought. Spirit <laughs> they were thought, well padded up. Spirit thought for me though. I used to bat behind. You know, this was the Ross Taylor and um, Jesse Ryder when they used to play very aggressive Test cricket. You were up and down out of your seat. You know, every sort of thirty seconds. Every single. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Roscoe. Oh, oh, that's Roscoe and Kane. Um, so that that was a little bit stressful. So, you, oh, this is. But did you have any other stress dreams? Catching. What? So you'd be sort of in the field and suddenly a ball would just whiz past your, your ear and then you'd wake up trying, trying to, to lift your hands up. So you'd punch catch. your better half in the bed trying to make a catch. Oh, I could. Uh, I don't <laughs> oh, know. Sorry, love. Just trying to catch Ricky Ponting in the gully. <laughs> yeah, that never really happened. I did have a mate that actually picked up his partner during a nightmare because he thought the dream was that she was on the road and had tripped and a car was going to drive over her. So in his dream, he picked her up and threw her to the side of the the road for safety, but he actually did physically pick her up and throw her against the wardrobe. She woke up in tears with the blood nose. So Yeah, I don't... Good luck explaining that one. (laughs) (laughs) But your stress dream in sport, Ben Francis 
Do you get stress strains? Oh, I have one he, recurring one. He supports the Warriors, of course. He no, but that's not a. That's, I, not a, I, that's, a re, that's a reality. That's a stra- That's a hard reality. I don't have uh, sporting ones, but I have. Apparently, I sometimes say something which is from a video game I played when I was a kid. So can you tell us the video game? Uh, so there was an Xbox game called Fable, and essentially at the start of the game, you've got to run around and earn some money to buy your sister some chocolates, and you go take her the chocolates, and she says, just like my dream, and then you go to leave, and she says, wait, there's something wrong, and all these bandits come in and kill, kill everyone in the village, and apparently sometimes in my sleep I go like, wait, there's something wrong. <laughs> so I don't know what I'm dreaming about, but... <laughs> I've been told what I say. That's what my part. That's what my partner told me. So I'd hate to think what else I say. This this is a great talkback topic, isn't it? Your sporting stress dreams on 0800-150-811. Unfortunately, we've got an, a wonderful guest in about fifteen minutes' time. So I only got a very small window. If you've got a sporting stress dream, a reoccurring sporting stress dream like Grant Elliott has, he's uh, fearful of getting timed out. Uh, do let us know. I'd love to hear from you. 0800-150-811. Surely rugby players would have real stress dreams. Of just being run over the top of. Oh, I, I mean, I, I was playing against Afis, which was Afrikaans who were school back in the day in South Africa. They were twice our size. They started playing rugby when they were straight out of the womb. They were given a Springbok rugby jersey and yeah. a leather rugby ball. We only started playing as an English school at the age of 14. So they were far superior, and it was quite scary. Guys' faces were white with fear before the game, and... My coach said to me, he said, listen, you're going to be, it was my first game, you're going to be marking someone who's actually a really good player tomorrow, but I just want you to know, take him as low as possible. And his name was Nicholas Alberts, I'll never forget. He ended up playing super rugby the next year. Big man. For the blow buller. He was a big man. He was massive. He, he ran onto the field and I was really, like, that was a real life dream. And um, That's when, a nightmare. A, a nightmare. And the, the, this whole school would watch you play rugby and they would revel in the fact that the, these little English boys were playing against the Afrikaans schools and just get, we got mowed by 96-5 that day, but I got the ball in the first 20 minutes and I thought, oh, I'm in the first 15 oh, now. Oh, Percy. I'll just, I'll just bunt it out with my left foot. I didn't have a left foot. So I tried to bunt it out with my left foot. It skewed off straight into the second center. Eugene Marks was his name. Um, his hand 20 meters away from me and he just ran over me. And you could hear the school just go, oh, that was a real life. You're going to have a dream about that tonight. Probably will. You are going to have a dream about that tonight, straight after being timed out. It's <laughs> fabulous. Thank you for sharing, Grant. Double eight, double three. Um, someone writes here, Brian uh, writes, didn't Team New Zealand get timed out of a race that would have won the America's Cup in San Francisco? They did. Um, they had a certain amount of time to finish the race. The wind died away. New Zealand were one away from yes, winning. Yes, I remember that. And uh, time elapsed. Um, I do remember being in, I think we were in Argentina with the All Blacks, watching it over the phone with Steve uh, Hanson. He was screaming at the screen. He was well into it. Um, and then Brian uh, finished his bloody Jimmy Spittle, then proceeded to whip us like a one-legged stepchild and made the best comeback in sport. Well, that, that was funny because all the partners, were they had their bags packed. So they thought, oh, today's oh, the no. day. Didn't they, they have their bags the packed team. for like two months? You don't pack your bags, do you? Well, they, they thought, oh, well, if, once we win this one, then we're off. It's not the last game of a tour to Bangladesh. It is. It is. If, That's one foot off. It, uh, one foot on the plane, sorry. Yeah. It's a dangerous headspace to be in. Uh, if you want to share your um, recurring stress dreams, sporting stress dreams, feel free. Uh, I don't have any uh, in sport. I just have a recurring one of waking up 
and I have got to go to a calculus exam, and I haven't been to the calculus class all year. <laughs> um, and I don't even know if I've passed the calculus exam if I'll actually pass the course because I didn't have to turn up to anything. It's not, it's not fun because I was absolutely crap at calculus. No cheat notes? Mate, you could have, you can, all the cheat notes in the world, I, it still was a foreign language to me. <laughs> it made no sense. No sense uh, whatsoever. It's eight minutes after 11 o'clock. Let's give a rundown of uh, what's coming up on the show. Uh, if you're just tuning in, plenty of calls last hour. Uh, on the ending, especially of the uh, All Blacks uh, Australia Bledisloe Cup test from Thursday night, cracking game, I thought, especially that second half, it sparked into life. Um, you could pick apart that second half over a long period of time. But rightly so, a lot of people asking, how did New Zealand let the big lead slip? And, of course, a lot of attention on the uh, final decision at the end, which ultimately led to that uh, five-metre scrum, New Zealand scoring and winning the test at the last uh, chance. Um if you want to keep your comments coming through to double eight double three, uh, feel free. We didn't get too many uh, texts last hour, Grant, because lots of people were calling. We always give priority to people who are happy to call. We love hearing from you. A couple of texts. I'll get to them now. Kerry from Whanganui writes, Hey, guys, maybe the guys should have just kicked it out straight away instead of holding on to it. Um, and the Australians were dirty. Um, and that the Australians should be banned for life. Um, like when that. he looked to wrap his arms around a leg. I, I'm not a I'm not a ban for life type of guy. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm not willing to judge someone at their very worst moment and say, right, that's a, that's you out of the game forever. Life is a very long time, but um, I can understand why people are really angry about that uh, that dirty play because it was a dirty play. Um, Brian, another Brian writes, greetings, Daniel and Grant. Surely we're not surprised that a French ref has caused controversy. I'm surprised it took that long. Was overjoyed at seeing the nine for Australia blowing up the ref. At the end, so uh, that Brian doesn't care how we won. How no. he's won. A um, win's a win. A win's a win. And Matt from Blenheim writes totally disagree with Bruce. Uh, time wasting is time wasting. First minute, last minute makes no difference. Was a terrible call and inconsistent with how the seventy-two and a half minutes of the game had been refereed up until then. I understand he'd warned them, um, but it was an enormous moment, and I don't think the referee fully um, grasped the gravity of the call. Also, it allows the All Blacks to further paint over the cracks. Um, and, uh, lads, my sporting streams, the greatest sporting team in world rugby, the All Blacks, ignore a winning coach and Razor and hire a very mediocre coach. Oh, hang on. Please wake me up, writes Mikey G. <laughs> very good, very good. I'm getting a bit hoarse now. You can carry the can. Well, I think that this marks a time. We, we were talking off air about sporting greats, and obviously uh, Roger Federer has um, retired from sports, and we've had Serena Williams as well. 41. Yeah, 41. And then we've also had Colin de Grandhomme, <laughs> um, my good friend CDG. So there's been a number of... Number of retirements. I'm this year. sorry to interrupt, but how much did he pay you to, to drop him <laughs> in to the same sentence as Serena and Roger Federer? But you know that the one thing about cricket I've found, and this is a retirement, and I'm not, I'm not putting myself. I can't actually in the same vein as Roger Federer, but with cricket, but you're going you to. No, I'm not, because you you've got so many di- like different disciplines in cricket, the formats of the game. So you retire from one day, as and it's. Like, Ross Taylor's still available for T20, you know, domestic stuff in the circuit. Um, in fact, he's over in India at the moment playing in the Legends Tournament where uh, Craig McMillan, Scott Styrus, Shane Bond, they're all playing. So you, 
you'll announce your retirement, but you'll still play. So I think your retirement should be from all formats of the game with cricket. So there's just no grey lines. I mean, but you could tell Roger still wants to play. Yes, yeah, so if his body was allowed allowed him to play. If there was a three-set tennis, maybe we'd see more of Roger Federer. Maybe they need to do that. That's like a tennis T20. But he'll go on the circuit and play exhibitions. You'd think so. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which is like the Legend series, the Railway series in, in India. How's New Zealand going in the Railway series? Oh, Have not, we been kicked out of the country yet? Is everyone injured? Not great. Well, I must say, I did speak to Hamish Bennett the other day, and I wasn't sure about his call, but what he said was, is he said, we're, we're being sent back home. And I don't what? know if I misunderstood him. But, yeah, he was... What, like, the invalids have... Like, so he's broken. Well, let me just Th- have a little is, look. This at is a, um, a legend cricketing series for the un- uninitiated going on in India, of course, to raise awareness and, more importantly, funds for uh, road safety. Uh, there's huge amounts of death in India on uh, their roads. Uh, the, this whole tournament, I think, uh, the figurehead is Sachin Tendulkar. Yep. Um, you know, people Brian, probably, Brian Lara's Brian, playing. Charles Lara. John T. Rhodes. God, I'd love to be in the West Indian legend side. So we, we, we had Shane Bond, and we played our first game on Tuesday the 13th of September, and it wasn't a very successful one. Aaron Redmond, Anton Devisich, Dean Brownie, Ross Taylor's captain, Neil Broom, Jacob Orham, Craig McMillan, who I know blew his calf in the first game I heard, Gareth Hopkins, Bruce Martin, Shane Bond, and one Hamish Bennett. Um, we were scored 99 for 8 in our 20 overs. I see Hamish Bennett got a did not bat. He'd be delighted. We're 99 for 8 in 20 overs. And then uh, we lost in 13 and a half overs, uh, South Africa, 100 for one. So a few, few and, learnings. And who are these South Africans? I've heard of Alvaro Peterson. Mornay van Beek. Who's Andrew, Andrew Puttick. Puttick. Puttick? Andrew Puttick, good little player, played for South Africa. Hardly a legend, no? Double 100, test double 100. Okay, I'll take it back. Jacques Rudolph, John T. Rhodes, um, and Johan Boerter is another name. And they didn't up. even use Jacques Rudolph and John T. Rhodes because... They won by nine wickets with six and a half overs remaining. So I guess we're going to have Good to... Good job, team. We're going to have to watch that um, with a little bit of interest because the next game is today at 10pm. So I'm thinking you can tune in on that. Yes, against the Bangladesh legends. What could possibly go wrong? Um, I, I might have, we have to, we'll get to good week, bad week a little bit later in the program. I might have to make an early nomination for bad week for our New Zealand legends team at the Railway. Um, what's it called? The Railway Safety World Series 2022. Beaten. Beaten around the head by South Africa. Well, there's always a chance for a comeback. I mean, a lot of those guys wouldn't have played for a while, so it's about getting the team together. They would have been better for the run. Mm. Uh, Royalty's joining the program after the break. Oh. You're interested? You're intrigued? Yes, I am. We will take a short break, and then in association with Somerset, uh, it is time for our Saturday Session Legends segment. I think legendary here, think Somerset Retirement Villages. We're going to catch up. Uh, with an absolute legend of rugby, played at two World Cups for two different nations. A heck of a story. Talking about a late bloomer, I think, made his test debut for the All Blacks at 30. A sensational midfielder, one of the greatest partnerships. A form with, alongside Walden Little, of course. I can only be talking about Frank Bunce. Frank Bunce joins the show after this. 20 minutes after 11 o'clock. Uh, keep your sporting nightmares coming through. Yeah, Grant Elliott, um, because we're talking about being timed out in cricket, revealed his uh, reoccurring stress stream in sport which is being timed out because he can't get his pads and gloves on. Because Mitchell Johnson's probably bowling and you're petrified, right? <laughs> you don't want to get you out there. You don't want to get out there. Uh, someone writes, big uh, game of rugby starts without me because I can't get my boots on in my dream. Oh, or you, you, you've you got the boots on, you just can't lace them up. 
<laughs> just such an awful feeling. You have an inability to lace them up. Yeah, well, your hands, that's the thing. I've got this inability to use my hands properly because of the adrenaline and just the fear. So you just, you can't, you're just fumbling all the time and then eventually you wake up and go, oh, thank goodness it was a dream. I have a sneaking suspicion our next guest never had any sporting nightmares. He just caused nightmares for opposition defenders. You like that? That's us put a like segue, that. Grant. Uh, this is all part of our Saturday Session Legends segment. We're utterly thrilled to welcome into the program a, a man with an incredible story in rugby to tell, although he's probably chuckling away going steady on, Daniel. Uh, we're utterly deli- to, delighted to welcome into the show All Black number 915, of course, Grant. You'll remember that. Uh, he played 50 55 test matches off the top of my head. He scrambles around yet. Yeah, 55 test matches for the All Blacks. Prior to that, of course, though, um, he was uh, involved with Western Samoa uh, at the 1991 World Cup where they caused one of the biggest upsets in rugby uh, history to date. Yes, to date, uh, when they uh, beat the Welsh, um, form one of the great midfield partnerships uh, New Zealand rugby has ever seen. It can only be Frank Bunce who joins us on the programme. Mr Bunce, welcome to the show. Morning, Frank. Good morning, gentlemen. Thank you. Are you royal? Oh, we are great. We'd like to know, considering what's been going on in the United Kingdom, are you in fact royalty? And if so, how? (laughs) Oh, shit. Um, Well, you know, geez, I don't know. It's history, uh, and it's been known in the family and my my mother's new side for uh, for quite a long time. The story's been known. I wouldn't have a clue whether it's uh, whether it's true or not, but. um, you know, what do they say, the, the gay abandon of the Pacific, and it stretches to uh, telling stories as well. So um, <laughs> I, I'm going to run with it because it's a good, you know, it's a pretty good story. Sounds like a resounding yes to me, yeah, Frank, absolutely. that you Cate- are royalty. <laughs> Categorical, uh, direct lineage to King George III, in fact. So they say, so they say. Um, <laughs> trader, some Somebody, somebody had gone down through uh, Africa and become a trader and then branched out into the Pacific. And then that's where he sort of uh, met up with my, you know, my descendants. So uh, that's the story. What the hell? It's been around yeah, let's this go long, with that. So we might as well keep going with it. Exactly. And no one can prove that it's, it's not right. No, exactly. And you're definitely not taking a paternity test. Uh, and no one else's <laughs> either. Yeah. Um, uh, but but I'm guessing though when Frank Bunce first slapped on a pair of rugby boots or, or chucked a rugby ball around, it probably wasn't on the on on the rich alluvial plains of Balmoral and the like. Your, your earliest memories of playing footy, Frank, or what? Um, my earliest memories were um, were at Manukau, uh Rugby in in Auckland, and uh, that's the club that I um, well apart from playing on the on the grass on the you know in the backyard with the brothers and sisters and neighbourhood kids. Um, that's probably my earliest memories of, of rugby, but properly organised and, you know, requiring uh, requiring boots and uniforms and that is Manukau Rovers uh, up in Auckland, where I started. I was probably, I think I was like sort of seven, eight years old when I, when I joined that club. And it was the only one around, so, uh, you know, it kind of had to be. Frank, tell me about, I'm, I'm intrigued to know what backyard rugby would have been like with your brothers and, and neighbourhood, I guess everyone uh, sort of joining in. Was it full contact? Because you don't see kids oh, yeah. playing that oh, that much. It was full yeah. contact. It was definitely yeah, full good. contact. And there was, you know, there, I've got, uh, there was eight of us, you know, as a, as a family, four boys and four girls, and everyone played. And then all the neighbourhood kids, and that was back in the day, there was, you know, there was a number of families around, the neighbourhood with big, uh, big numbers, and uh, you know, male, female, you know, didn't even it didn't matter. 
everyone just got stuck in and uh, and gave as good as they got. And, um, you know, that's kind of where you learned your trade, I think. Who was the referee? <laughs> <laughs> the referee never came into it until someone started fighting or crying. Or, and that just happened to be, happened to be uh, whoever the, uh, you know, the nearest parent was. Not that, the, you know, the, the parents didn't take any act or any part in the, uh, you know, in the, in the game until, um, until they had to. You know, come up, climb over the back fence and uh, grab someone by the ear and kick them up the up the backside and uh, <laughs> you know then lay down the law for a little bit and then then you carry on for another hour until it happens again. So, uh, well, there was no sighting. There was no sighting commissioners either, uh, which was the beautiful <laughs> thing about uh, <laughs> about about backyard rugby. Uh, Frank, oh, you know, yeah. through college, then then into the club scene. You, you were you were playing in Auckland in an era where there is a good argument to make that was the the, the most dominant provincial rugby side the world has ever seen. It was incredible talent. Um, you sort of struggled to to break through with that. Was was it you due to you being a late bloomer, or were Auckland rugby selectors just useless back then? <laughs> um, probably a bit of both. You know, now that I've uh, now that I've gotten to a, a certain age, because you look back on things and it's like, geez, I I, I have come into everything. Everything that's kind of happened to me has happened to me a little bit later. So maybe I am a late bloomer. But, um, but uh, you know, we shit, the, the guys that we had in the team were, uh, you know, in, as you say, it was, a, it was a great era. And the guys in the team, you know, it was chock-a-block full of all blacks. Um, and in my position, you know, Joe Stanley, trying to knock Joe Stanley out of it was, um, you know, was, was damn near impossible. And then Craig Innes come along, you know, so... Um, uh, you just, you just, you know, you bide your time and and hope that um, hope that you get the call up and and I, you know, I did a, a couple of times obviously, but just couldn't really break into a um, uh, into a regular position in in that particular team. And then we had the, you know, the the Samoa, the World Cup in '91 coming up, so that was the thing really that pushed me to um, to make a move because I didn't, you know, I'm a bit of a homebody. I, you know, I I was at Manukau my whole life and played. You know, Auckland was my team, so you know, I was. I was kind of there, as far as I was concerned, until the end. And then, um, but then, the, you know, the, this opportunity came out of the blue with the um, with the World Cup, so forced my hand a little bit. Your, your memories of that tournament, because 1991 is a really big year for you. You make the move across the bridge to play for North Harbour, but of course Western Samoa, which, you know, you've got many a fond memory with Harbour, and we'll get into that in just a moment. But 1991, what, what does it mean to you today to be involved with that uh, that side that is... Rightly so, still spoken about with great reverence. Oh, that was um, that was pretty much the beginning beginning of it all, you know, for me. Um, and had I not actually had that opportunity, had I not, you know, taken it even, um, I wouldn't have made the All Blacks. And then, you know, we probably wouldn't be sitting here right now talking about, uh, you know, the, the past. So, um, you know, it, it, it's everything for me, really. And... Um, and I'm, you know, I'm still in touch with um, with quite a few of the guys from there. And as you say, it's, it is still spoken about, um, you know, with reverence. And um, then you go to Samoa, you know, and you still, I still get a lot of people who come through and, um, you know, and, and say good day and you know talk about that. And you know, it, it, it is a, something of real pride for uh, for Samoa. And you know, it, I think it was the pretty much the um, you know the the kickstart for Pacific Island rugby as a whole. You know, obviously Fiji had. It played yes. in uh, earlier World Cup, and but you know we we kind of got success 
you know that um, that some of the other teams didn't get. But you know, it was a it was a um, uh, you know I, I think it was a, an insight you know for the rest of the world as to as to what the Pacific Islands had to had to offer. When you beat Wales, you upset Wales in the first game that sent shockwaves around the rugby world. Um, what, what was the party like? You've got to celebrate that. I know, I know it's the first game of a tournament. You've got Australia up next. You know, you know favourites probably in 1991. They go on to win it. But was there pure joy after that Wales game? Oh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, that was, that was, a, that was a time when you could party as well. You could celebrate. And I think because <clears throat> we had Australia midweek as well. But, you know, we were we were training every day, and we'd been there for well, I think we'd been there for a couple of weeks already, and, you know, and and um, let's just say we enjoyed ourselves there in the lead up to it as well. So um, <laughs> you know, we got we got through that game, and we went out and we had a blast, and there were so many people that came down to you know came came. Um, from London, from all over the place, and you know, obviously from New Zealand and the, and the Pacific, they came uh, came down and, and cheered for us, and uh, and then you know they were all invited back to the hotel, and we just we had a great time. Um, but the coach reminded us um, that we were training the next day because <laughs> because we um, you know we were obviously playing Australia in a few days' time, but uh, it was you know, and back in those days, it was like you know you you play the game, yes. You celebrate it and you enjoy yourself, and then, you know, and then you get stuck in for the next one. And whatever you put in, you had to run it out the next day. So uh, they didn't, you know, we certainly weren't certainly weren't barred from from doing anything. But um, you know, geez, we were we were still going well into the night, and and then that that actually carried on after the Australian game, after the um, who did we play after that Argentina. <clears throat> you know, we we enjoyed ourselves. We trained really hard. We played hard, but we we had a good time. And um, Frank, there would have been one young Brian Lima, and the reason why I always remember him was not because of his crunching tackles, but also because of the nickname, the chiropractor. He would have been on tour with you as well. Yeah, jeez. You know, people, because <clears throat> um, he's got that reputation, obviously, but um, I, I say to people, man, you know, you think he was good you know, when he was in his mid-30s, you should have tried to play it against him when he was 18 or 19 or 20. And he was, you know, that's that's where he really earned that nickname. He was a killer, that fella. Jeez, <laughs> still is somewhat, you know. But um, I, I, I remember Matthew Cooper when uh, we played. Uh, I think it was the year before Samoa went on a bit of a tour, you know, through our internal tour of New Zealand, and we played Waikato. And um, Matthew Cooper took the ball, come in from fullback, and Brian Lima came off his wing and just, oh man, I still, you know, I can still see it now. And uh, still feel it. always used to remind Matthew Cooper of that, and he said, "Oh man, yeah, he, that was." Uh, <clears throat> and you know, he was—he was, was a big, strong lad, old Coops. But uh, man, yeah, Brian Lima. Oh, he's, well, he, I know, I know he, what Matthew. Sorry, 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 Frank. Carry on. I know. I know. I was just going to say, um, you know, Brian was was um, one of, you know, a lot of teams have got have one or two guys that might be able to do that, pull that off, but that was our, you know, that was our, our secret weapon, you know. Like a guy like Brian, there were, there were, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight people who could do that same thing, you know, in the team, and that was really what, uh, that, as I say, that was the secret weapon. Unleash that on uh, on the um, the unknowing. 
Yes, you know, because Northern Hemisphere at that time, they didn't have a whole lot of experience with uh, the Polynesian uh, rugby player. So, um, uh, yeah, I think... I, I, I've, I've got to read this. This is a BBC match report after the Welsh game. Um, the Samoans clearly boasted by a talented lineup of Apollo Perilini, Frank Bunce, Brian Lemar and Pat Lamb in their midst. But Bunce was already in the twilight of his impressive career. Um, it was before um, 1992 where you debuted for the All Blacks at 30. You go on and play 55 test matches for them. The oddity of your first three test matches, I think you played them inside seven days against the World 15. Oh, how times have changed, Frank. But when you got that selection, um, was it gravy? What were you... What, 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 what expectations did you have for yourself when, you know, Laurie Maines and the selectors call you up in 92? Oh, man, yeah. I, um, I didn't really, you know, I wasn't expecting it because I'd, um, obviously, as you, you, you play rugby in New Zealand, you want to be an all-black. Um, so I tried. Um, you know, it wasn't working. And then my, my opportunity with Samoa came, and I thought to myself, once I'd, once I'd um, agreed to play for Samoa, um, that my my uh, the hopes of becoming ever becoming an All Black were gone, and I was I was okay with that. You know, made my choice. Okay, giving that a go, not a problem. Really, really enjoyed that World Cup, and you know, and some of the internationals we played, and the you know all the lead up and everything. So um, I was pretty much, you know, that 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 hope was gone. So. Um, to get the call from Laurie Means because luckily for me, the All Blacks didn't have a um, a wonderful uh, 91 no. World Cup. And, uh, you know, there was rumblings and uh, much like's going on now, you know, there was a lot of rumblings with the, the coaching setup and and um, and some of the players. And then, you know, they did make the change and uh, Laurie Means came in and says, well, it's all about timing, you know, and, um, and a lot of times you actually have no control over over what goes on in your career. You know, all you can really do is try your best. And, you know, one coach doesn't like you, the next coach loves you. You know, so, um, so it's, it's, it's all about everything sort of, um, you know, just coming together and it's almost a perfect storm, you know. Everything comes together at the at the right time. But for me to yeah. get that call up and, and, and have opportunity, Laurie, Laurie didn't promise me anything. He, um, he just said, you know, I'll give you a shot. I'll, you know, I'll put you in the trial. Because I think you still got something to offer," he said. I, "You know, I don't care how old you are. Because I think you still got something to offer, and I'll give you a trial if you if you're keen." And you know, then it all surfaced again. It's like, oh man, you know, I really want to be an All Black. Yeah, um, I've always wanted to be an All Black. So I thought, okay, I'll do it. And then, um, you know, just uh, just went on with that. But I had no expectation. I was just going to go out there and because you, especially when you first get in, I think you're. You know, you just want to take care of what's happening now. You know, you've got no long-term goals. It's like, I, I, you know, I want to make sure that I can do the best that I can in this next game. Okay, and then, you know, and that changes. Not that you don't ever want to do your best, but, you know, your focus kind of changes. You know, you start looking ahead a little bit more if you become um, a little bit more settled in the team. So um, at the beginning, no expectation. I just wanted to get out there and, and play and do what I had to do. But um, as time wore on and you become a bit more experienced with it, you know, and, and, and you know your game too and you know the international game and, you know, what you can do and, and all of that, then, you know, things, things change. So, um, yeah, and, and I must admit, I, I became a lot calmer, you know, once I, um, 
once I I settled my it was it was the psychological side of it really for me that was uh, that needed the the work, and I become a lot calmer and a lot more steady and uh, you know um, yeah once I'd figured that out. Frank, uh, two of your more uh, famous series and um, games, I guess, or moments in your career. And it's great to hear how the stars aligned during your career from those uh, backyard rugby days. Um, 95 World Cup, um, obviously that was deeply disappointing to lose that one at Ellis Park. And then quite a, 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 I guess, the converse to that was the 96 series in South Africa. Um, Can you run us through your feelings during those times? Starting with the World oh, Cup. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, um, you know, the World getting Cup getting sick was, or something? Um, Are you getting sick? Are you, you're a bit sick. Has Susie been around? No. <laughs> no, no, no. I've, uh, I've been drinking. I've been sitting here at uh, drinking this coffee. <laughs> and, uh, <clears throat> sorry. Yeah, yeah, I'm just clearing my throat because, uh, you know, <laughs> you know what uh, bloody milk and cream and stuff does, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> but, um no, they, they, you know that uh, leading into the World Cup, um, I, th- I think I th- you know I'd have to say that '95, probably '95 World Cup, and then as you mentioned that '96 tour, I think they were kind of the highlights of, uh, you know, of, of um, my career. Leading up to that, uh, we didn't have a great 1994, but um, you know a lot of that was put down to, um, put down to um, you know preparing. Um, you know, and, and selecting a team for, um, you know, for 95. And, we, you know, we lost we lost a, a, a fair bit in 94. And um, But <clears throat> 95, everything I thought was, um, you know, it was awesome. The, the, the tournament itself was great. Um, you know, some really strong teams there. And, and in South Africa, you know, for that first time, it was, it was, it was so awesome. So I really enjoyed the whole, the whole thing, the tournament, itself and obviously the only downside was the fact that we didn't win the final but um you know that hurts obviously in the moment but um now you know you look back on things you know all these years later um and it was actually the best thing that could have happened you know not 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 for us but you know for south africa and for uh for rugby as a whole so um i think uh i think it worked out you know the best way um, <clears throat> leading into '96, you know there were there were um, there were coaching changes and personnel changes and you know a lot of that going on. But we, as, as usually happens, you know we we end up with guys like um, you know like I think Christian Christian Cullen burst onto the scene early '96, I think it was. Um, you know, and we were getting guys. People just put their hands up, you know, and then. Um, so '96, we got a whole lot of new new guys in, and they turned out to be awesome. And the team was, you know, we had a great mix, and we had a coaching change, and you know, it was just a bit of, uh, you know, some some new ideas, and you know, you know, freshen things up a little bit. Um, so that was great, and turned out to be a fantastic sort of '96 and and '97, really, with that most of that team. So um, yeah, I think I think it ended ended pretty well for me. Really, um, but yeah, probably the t- 95, 96, 97, probably the three best years, really, when you think about it, of, of my career. The guy inside you, 
for a large portion of that, not only with the All Blacks, but also um, at North Harbour, one Walter Little. Um, you know, you guys are joined at the hip as far as the, the, I guess, the psyche of New Zealand rugby fans. Wonderful partnership. Um, great mates, right? You had, you know, um, equal amount of fun off the field as on it. Um, it. Was that a key to why it worked so well? I, I, yeah, I, I think whether it was the key or not, um, well, well, the fact that we actually, you know, we spent, a, as you say, a bit of time together off the field, but we had, um, you know, we played for the Chiefs as well, yeah, North Harbour. We, we did, we got on, and, you know, we knew each other's play, and um, and I think, uh, <clears throat> well, yeah, he was definitely the best second five that I, you know, that I played with. Um, you know, he had outstanding skills, and, you know, a lot of it just natural as well. So I uh, really enjoyed playing, you know, with Walt. But, yeah, I, th- I think that's hugely important, <clears throat> um, you know, being able to form combinations. And you look, you know, later on with um, with Conrad and Ma. You know, so um, so I think, um, yeah, I think in certain in certain positions, the combination is, is vital. And, um, you know, that's exactly how we, we ended up with me and Walt. Frank, um, before we wrap it up, one thing that I think is so important is that you know kids are playing community sports, and I love hearing the fact that you know you were in the backyard with your your brothers and sisters playing full contact rugby, and I don't think we see enough of that. And I, I'm I want to be a big promoter of community sport because I think it brings families, brings communities together. What advice do you give to parents and and kids? I mean, you you had uh, five children yourself, um, I think. Um, Six. What advice? Six, six children. Sorry, I don't know how you had the time to play rugby. Um, <laughs> but what advice do you give to the um, parents and, and children around um, playing the game and being passionate about it? Oh, <clears throat> I, th- I think it's. Um, I think it's just about uh, the parents allowing, you know, the kids to sort of find their way. And you know, I'm not not just saying this about rugby. Uh, you know, rugby is obviously my game, but um, you know, I think it's important that uh, that kids are given the um, opportunity to play play anything and everything. You know, and and uh, they tend to find what they're good at, and uh, and usually stick with it. But um, it gives you so much. Uh, you know, the the sport, and not just rugby as well. Um, you know, we're because my sisters all played hockey, and then, you know we had netball. We had we had so many things going on. So um, you know I'm really really. But it, it wasn't a time where you know there were no cell phones, there were no video games, there were no you know no other distractions. So um, basically, my parents were just um, you know get out there and do whatever you want. And uh, you know it was a, it was a kind of a different time. But um, you know I'm grateful that I had that opportunity. So to parents, I would just say. You know, just allow your your kids a, a little bit of um, a little bit of freedom. I think in terms of of doing that, because um, you never know, you know, who you got or what your child could turn mm. into. But um, yeah. there are there are no downsides, you know, to to sport to allowing kids to um, you know to get involved in sport. There are only I think there are only upsides because you know that takes away. Um, because you know, what do you do if you're not doing anything? You, you know, you start getting itchy fingers, and then they start going places where they shouldn't, and you know, you um, your, your time gets taken up by other things. But 
you know, you involve people in sport, they learn how to, for me, you know, you learn how to interact with people, um, social skills, uh, mm. and you never know who you, you know, who you might, that's a great thing about rugby as well is, you know, the rubbish man or the, the labourer, you know, on Saturday afternoon, he's playing with the doctor and the dentist and the, the CEO, <laughs> you know, and then they go and have a beer and, and um, you know, playing with or against them, you know, and you go and have a beer and everybody's the same for the weekend. And then, and then you go back to your to your life, but um, you make friends for, you know, for life. Um, and, uh, you know, that can only be good for you, as far as I'm concerned. And you travel the Frank, world and, you know, there's, there's so many pluses. Yeah, you've got to be good to travel the world, though, Frank, which you were, though. Uh, us mere mortals. Well, grants. Actually, I'm the only man out here. I'm, I'm shrinking uh, as I say this. Uh, thanks so much. It's been great to, to have you on the program. We, we really do appreciate it, Frank. Thanks so much. Yeah, awesome, Frank. Uh, pleasure. Uh, absolute legend, and you are a true legend and friend of SCNZ. I'd love to have you back on the show if you're ever keen, and, and awesome to hear your insights yeah, not, on no how worries. you got to get to the great heights that you did. Pleasure. Pleasure, gents. Give me a call anytime. I look forward to that. Uh, Frank Bunch joining us, All Black one, number 915, prior to that, uh, part of the very famous Western Samoan side uh, from the 1991 World Cup, causing, you know, to this day, one of the biggest upsets in rugby. Boy, what a career. Um, I'll always remember my former fallen colleague, uh, Mr. Graham Moody, calling. And Frank's 1997 scored two tries against the box. Great call of Frank Bunch, who says this man is too old. He was a sensational player. Our Legend Series in association with Somerset. Think new friends, new laughs and a new home. Think Somerset Retirement Villages, somerset.co.nz. Still plenty more to come on the Saturday session in the final hour after midday. We've got live racing from Rickerton and New Plymouth. Uh, Grant breaks down what happened to the Black Caps in the Chapel Hadley Series. That actually uh, started our sporting week. And uh, another episode of Tales from the Tractor. Stay with us here on SENZ. Big feature this hour was Mr. Frank Bunce. We thank him for his time, generosity with it. Joining us for our Saturday session, Legend segment in association with Somerset. Could have uh, dug a whole lot deeper. A little, but uh, no, it was uh, wonderful to hear his voice and to reminisce. Oh, you he- want you want to be on, if you go back in time, you're going back to 1991. It sounds like you'd like to go on tour with the Western Samoan side. Oh me. yeah, it sounded like they had a great time. He, he basically indicated that they balanced on-field with off-field performances. Yeah, perfectly so. Uh, if you missed that, if you missed our chat with Anthony Seabold, you can check out our social media accounts. Uh, those will be up. Uh, get amongst it. Hope you enjoy it. Still lots to come in the final hour of the show. Tales from the track. We're going to talk uh, a man who's great at wood chopping slash rugby. You love your all-rounders. Um, and we'll probably wind up people from Hawke's Bay because Wellington is, you know, the home of the Ramfurly Shield from about 9 o'clock tonight, I think. Oi, that's a big yeah, call. That big might call. be my sporting picks. You never know. Hold tight. Staying on midday from the Riviera of the South Pacific, Wellington, the capital city of Aotearoa, home of the Ramfurly Shield in a few hours. <laughs> and home to the mace. Home mace. to the mace? Yeah, yeah. Where does I, it reside? Did I tell you? New Zealand cricket handed over the mace to Wellington cricket. So... The Wellington Cricket Museum now is the home of the Mace. That's right. Who are World Test Champions? New Zealand. That's right. I, I forget that. You never bought that. You were such... Yeah, you know what? You were a bit of a coward when we commentated with the Australians. You never, a coward? You, well, you only brought that up once because I brought it up. I thought uh, you were going to bring it up way more. Pretty sure you weren't there for the first game. Oh, that's true. Yeah. 
Oh, did you bring it up quite a bit? Might have dined out on that one in the first game. Oh, did you? <laughs> Might have. Once or twice. I thought you were going to say, you know, great shot from Kane Williamson, captain of the World Test <laughs> Championship winning team. I should have done that more, though, now in hindsight. Dot ball. Well, they killed us with kindness, didn't they? They were we actually did, we lovely. Didn't, we didn't expect, you know, our commentary troupe from across the ditch. I hope you enjoyed our coverage of the Chapel Adley. It was really a unique experience. You know, uh, two commentary teams in two different countries. Yeah, they, uh, I always think that you kill people with kindness, and that's what we did with our Australian counterparts. By the end, we broke them down because we yeah. were so humble yeah. and just so nice that they started getting stuck into people that were texting through um, on the fruit machine and saying, you know, Kane is a dot ball specialist. Oh, His yeah. daughter's name is Dot. Their fan base was typically very humble Australian cricketing fan base, wasn't it? <laughs> it was. But they, they were actually having Horse a go code, at them. dot, 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 dash, 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 dot, yeah. dot, dot. That was yeah. their names for Kane. Williamson. They Block, were, Blocker Williamson was some of the other nicknames. Yeah. They were on our side, though, weren't yeah. they, by the end of it. And I um, I got a call from their, their uh, afternoon show, and they were so nice to me. They actually felt sorry for us because we played so poorly. Now I'm angry. Oh, I knew this would happen. I think it's condescending. Yes, it is condescending. <laughs> they looked down at our nose at us. Um, do you know why? Because they have every right to. We didn't play well. We did not play near our ability. As I'm going to bring up good week, bad week. Good time to play good week, bad week? Yep. Okay, Ben Francis, are you ready? Good week, bad week, as we, we like to bring up things. Um, who had a good week, who had a bad week? I'm going to start with the negative, bad week. And I'm not going to say the team, the batsman. Can we, can we talk about the batting? The batsman we, of the, the Black of, of the Black team. Caps. Can we talk about the batting? Yep. Let's talk about the okay. batting. Do you want what was the top score in the series by a New Zealand batsman? Well, I'd say it's 47 from memory, Glenn Phillips. Well, you're looking at it on a screen. Yeah. It is 47, isn't it? Mm-hmm. 47. And the next best was, there was a 45 from Williamson and a 46 from Conway, and I think, yeah, Latham got a 43. Yeah, and you look at the top scores uh, for all the New Zealand players. Um, you know, Mitchell got a start, Latham got a start in the game, Santa got a start. Everyone got stars. No one went, went on. I'm sorry. You're flirting with being a decent, with decent scores. The batting just wasn't. Is it, is it too simple for me to say the batting was the reason? No, because I think our bowling, we reckon our bowling was on par. Thanks to Bolt. We had the best bowler. Yeah, we had the best bowler of the tournament by far. My Lord, he was exceptional. I'll go to the wickets column. And I, I can. Between Bolt, 10. It was, thir- I've got it written down here. 30 overs, 8 maidens. 10 for 103. Yeah, no, it's an incredible series. Did he get named player of the series? Who did get? Of course get, he didn't. Who did get player of the Australian series? Steve Smith? Probably. It was Steve Smith. Steve Smith played a brilliant 100 in the last game, for sure, but Trentbolt was the best player, I thought. Oh, definitely. I mean, I actually thought that after Trentbolt turned his Black Caps contract down, his international contract, that we might see a little bit of a nonchalant type attitude. He looked like someone that was really up for the battle. And when you play against Australia, and I said it a number of times when I was commentating, when their backs are against the wall, that's when they actually, someone produces something special. Kerry and Green, or Body Cramp Green, in the first game, that partnership when they were 44-5, suddenly they produced something special. Adam Zampa, you know, he, he got seven wickets in the tournament, but, you know, managed to produce something special at a time when they needed Labuschagne and Smith. That 100 from Smith, you've got to admit, that 100. Oh, it was brilliant. I don't like to, you know, really give big ups to Australian players, but that was a brilliant 100 because he fought hard. I think he was on about five or close to 30 30 balls, 40 balls. They were 29 for two after 15 overs. Yeah. So our bowlers were good, like 
creating pressure, creating chances, and our batters just didn't back it up. And this was a huge tour. And the reason why it was a big tour was because when we went over there for the Boxing Day Test Match, we went over there with the high hopes that we were actually going this was going to be the team that was going to turn Australia over in the Boxing Day Test. I never felt we'd win that series. I always thought, I thought we'd be competitive. I thought Australia would still mm. win. But I look at, you know, one-day cricket, and I heard on the station someone say New Zealanders need to get their head around the fact New Zealand are not very good. That's laughable. I'm sorry. They've made two World Cup finals consecutively. I think we've made eight World Cup semi-finals. Uh, it's a record that you should be proud of, not being disparaging of. But unfortunately, it seems in Australia, they're just incapable of reaching their potential. And this is, clearly I have a lot of faith in their potential. That, that's why I'm getting quite emotional about it, because I think they're far more capable than what they've shown. And unfortunately, they're going to have to wait you know, a lot of, most of that team will never play another series against Australia. Yeah. And our Australian counterparts, they actually said, and I, I believe it as well, it's a shame because New Zealand were in the game in all three of those, those games. You know, there was, there was times where Australia were five down and we could have put the foot on the throat and we didn't. They managed to get out of it. Is that the brilliance of Australia and maybe... Yes, uh, to a degree. Incapability of our players. I don't know what the answer is, but there's definitely a mental hurdle that we haven't got over with Australia. That T20 final playing Australia. We played so well in the tournament. Get to the final. Mitch Marsh produces an innings out of nowhere. You know, and we just always look back. I think that the attitude that Bolt took into that series is the attitude you want. And we saw a lot of smiling and back tapping with opposition. Getting you grumpy. Yeah, and I know Chuck Berry was also grumpy about that because he came from the old school. I you're in a contest. You're in a battle out there. Someone is out there to ruin your day. It's not smart. It's not fun. It's it's a real battle, and I, I love the attitude that Bolt took into that game. And you look at the, I don't know the attitude. It wasn't an attitude. It was more like Kane Williamson just didn't look like he was enjoying it as much as, as captain. There was something in our team that was just a little bit too submissive for my liking. And I think that that, that would be the discussion I'd have with people on an individual um, side of things, but then also as a collective. Like, what can we do? Is it body language? Is it, you know, um, the mentality that we take? Why do Australia have the rubber green over New Zealand in cricket over there? And the, the stats that you brought up, the batters, what was it? We've only scored over 57 one, times. Yeah, and since 2009 when we last won a one-day cricket international in Australia, uh, for which Grant made 60-odd not out, and bores me to tears with it generally. Um, no, <laughs> he doesn't. I, I just like winding him up about it. Um, and I think it's now 11 games since. Um, New Zealand's had seven scores over 50 individual players. Um, Australia's had 24. Yeah. 24. It's three times as many. Yeah. And you would expect that in their conditions. I think Australia is the best batting conditions you will get. You can't complain about the pitches. And, hey, Cairns wasn't your typical Australian surface. No, it, it was, was a little a, bit tricky. It was a tough surface. Uh, but when you get in, you've, you've, you've just got to go on. So that was my bad week, my good week, the Bledisloe Cup. I'll say it was a good week for the Bledisloe Cup. A couple of things. <laughs> Thursday night, sold out in Melbourne. The All Blacks haven't sold out in New Zealand, people, this year. Um, and we, we can scoff at Australian rugby all we, all we like, but the master stroke. Um, in, the, in the very congested uh, calendar of the AFL and the NRL and so on and so forth, where the Bledisloe Cup will struggle to get its head above water as far as publicity. I think they kicked a goal there. And the game delivered. Yeah, I know the last the last um, you know play 
has, has got a lot of headlines, and we don't like games ending, you know, under the guise of you know refereeing controversy. But that second half, I thought, was really, really entertaining. So it was uh, a good week for the Bledisloe Cup too. What's yeah. your good week, bad week? Uh, my good week, Trent Bolt, outstanding. You know, he was just he's swinging the ball late. His attitude is he done in one day cricket? Well, that's the thing. Everyone was saying, will we see him again? Maybe in world tournaments. But, yeah, it's yet, that question's yet to be answered. I'd like to see him in world tournaments. After the way he bowled in that series, I would say sign him up. Anytime you want to play, you're, you're available if you can bowl like that. And I think bad week, I'm going to have to say the French referee. I just think that he made a blunder. Should have let him kick it out. Machu. Do we, do, can we get a song of Machu? Like, M-A-T... H-I-E-U, I think that's how you spell it. Yeah, I, I think he should have let him kick it out, then given him a, lead, a, a yellow card. So, then stop the him. clock, not restart the clock, stop the clock, wait till they kick it out. Well, he did and Then stop give him the a clock. lecture. Yeah. No, but then he restarted the clock. Yeah, he restarted the clock, and then that took seven seconds, whatever, and then he blew it. But take the line out at least, let the game go on, and then but him or discipline him after the game. I don't know what the answer is, but I've never seen that happen before. I was confused. All right, Ben Francis, good week, bad week. Anyone you'd like to highlight? Oh, I, I think I think the main one's been covered. I'd put the I, I'm kind of tempted to put the referee in that bad week, to be honest. I really am. Just because it's of the of the call, and it's a call you've never seen before, mm. and it's mm. just kind of set that precedent now. And I, I really think that people are going to have their stopwatches out, and it is going to probably change rugby a bit for the foreseeable future. It won't, though, will it, Ben? It was one man's interpretation. I don't think there's an overarching rule to speed the game up because they would have done it in the first minute, not the 79th. I, I'm, I'm all for it. Yeah, well, Action, keep the ball in play. You, and I'm sure, Ben, you agree with me on that. I, I do agree with you, but it's just, as I say now, that it's everyone's going to have those stopwatches out, and if there's a call that takes just that little bit longer, everyone's going to say, well, why aren't you blowing it there? And, and I think, as I pointed out earlier, that there were times that both ti- both teams took longer to actually, whether it was a penalty goal or a kick for touch, they, they both teams did take longer. So why pick that moment in that moment of the game? Well, it's it's definitely given um, old Mathieu uh, a name for himself, and that's either going to be a good one or a bad one. I I'm, I'm guess we'll see in a few weeks' time where he's refereeing and if he's refereeing again, because I agree with you guys. I think that this could speed up the game of rugby, which is great. Great as, result. And as a result, your good good element to this good week, bad week, would be good week for SCNZ thanks to a French referee. Oh, yeah. Well, massive yeah. massive praise for French referees <laughs> for always creating yeah. Yeah. fantastic storylines for, uh, for us to talk about. <laughs> and uh, I'd say... Uh, very, um, oh, I'm trying to think of the right word to call All Blacks fans. Just uh, tricky All Blacks fans to deal with. They love calling up. They love calling up and, de- and defending their team. But when they win, though, they're, they're often quite silent. Yeah, they can be, for sure. Uh, Dave, uh, thanks for texting in on double eight double three. It's a real shame our friendship had to end in these circumstances. <laughs> uh, as he writes, I used to like you two blokes. Come on the bay. The Shield is staying in the Hawks Bay. Um, no, it's not, though, is it? I think we'll take the Clint Newland Cup, too, won't we? Will it be a big celebration? Ooh, did I go there? Did I mention Clint Newland? I did. That's one for the... For Will it be a massive celebration if Wellington won oh, the Ranfurly? There'll be a street parade down Courtney Place tonight, won't there? Is it? Is the Ranfurly Shield the I'm one... I'm taking the pus there. Right? <laughs> is the Ranfurly Shield the one where you have to have the um, one player nude on your shoulders? 
Have you seen those club photos? Yeah, I've seen all no. those. I want a GoPro on the Ranfurly Shield. You know this. We, I want a GoPro on the Ranfurly so Shield. That is the Ranfurly Shield. I'm excited for it. I've, I've told you the sob story that, you know, 43 years on this Maldive Earth, it was 2008 for a, a period of time. It's the only time I've lived in a city that's won the Ranfurly mm. Shield. This could be 2008 was the last time Wellington won wow. the Ranfurly Shield. Watch I think prior out, to that it was 1982. So do your math. It's, you know. Two and a half decades between those, and now I think it's 14-odd years since I've last held it. But the Bay, the Bay will start favourites. Uh, I, can, I can count on the, the highlights package not putting me to sleep like last week's game. How many rolling, driving tries from lineouts were there? Oh. It was a snore fest. I actually felt like Justin Marshall watching Justin it. Justin Marshall would have loved it. I know, it. <laughs> he would have hated it. And I, I defended the, you know, the line-out drive drive at last week. So here's another one. Here's another one. Here's another one. Here's another one. So, yeah, yeah. Anyway. Razzle dazzle, Ranch he says. Over. That's what we want. The, and it'll speed it up, thanks to the French referee. God yeah. bless you, the French referee. God bless you, Matthew. God bless you. We may even give you a song one day here on the Saturday session. Coming up shortly, we will uh, turn our attention to live sport. We've got uh, a race coming your way. I think it's due to jump in about six minutes' time. Uh, then we will uh, head to Tales from the Tractor. You're looking forward to this one. Uh, Jack Jordan's going to join us. Lumberjack Jack. This is great. I, I love, because we had the chili eating competition starter in Christchurch and, you know, all these people that have fascinating side gigs. So we've got a rugby player slash world champion woodchopper. World champion. They, they had the world championship. He won it in Vienna uh, from memory 2006. I will get those facts right before we speak to him. But I want to find out what woodchoppers do after an event like that. Can you imagine the sign? They'd a few things, I would have thought. Yeah. It'd be some chopping. But like I'm going to chop down some Hawks Bay fans over the next 50-odd minutes. The Wellington Pussycats will not get the shield. See, there, I'm in the head, Grant. I'm in their head. I'm in their head. Yes. Tell us who you are when you text in as well. There's a lot of Hawks Bay support going in there from the... Uh, from our text machine, we've got another one. If it wasn't the French ref having a bad week, it would have been Foster. Yep, that is very, very true. We made that point in the first hour. 31-13, if they'd collapse. It was a bit of a collapse. You know, I credit the Australians, but, gee, it would have been, would have been more heat, uh, heat on uh, Ian Foster. And fair to say he's had a bit. Uh, we will take a short break. It's approaching 16 after 12. Keep your messages in. We love them. Some friendly fire. We've fired the first shot, me in particular. Hello, Hawks Bay. Love that part of the country. <laughs> we'll love it even more tonight when we take the shield from it. Back after this break with some live racing. Oh, nice, call it tight, again? nice tight affair, Grant. Uh, 972 is how they cross the line. Eulogy show ahead of uh, Red Sunday and Radi Ra. You've been pretty uh, prolific with this, calling it. Did or you not call today. it again? Not no, today. not today. I think no. mine finished about fifth or sixth. You normally shake your finger at me when yours comes in. Yeah, I do like to gloat. Yeah, you do. No, I'm why? not a good winner. Why Why do you like to gloat? Where does that come from? Because I li- haven't won much in my life, probably. Were you like that when you got people out, when you were bowling at them? No, I was, I, I was always... Big send-offs. The, no, I was, I was always the understated. Oh, really? Sort of. Unlucky, mate. Yeah, on another Mr. Straight one. On your bike, son. <laughs> Generally, I felt sorry for them if they, I'd gotten them out with my bowling. Yeah, I sort of used to say to people when they got out, I was like, that's embarrassing, getting out to me. Mm. I wonder if there's uh, any verbals in the, in the um, you know, the woodchopping fraternity. There must be. There must be. There must and, be. And how can you hear the verbal sprays if you've got the headphone, headphones on? And 
Because it's a physical thing, I reckon they would get into their heads before. You're all about the sport. You've you've become you've fallen in love with the sport over the last few months, haven't you? Oh, this is the sort of sport yeah. that I reckon I could. It's definitely a with, uh, spectator sport. With your hulking frame, <laughs> with your massive guns Look for speed, not power. Yes, something like that. It is time for tales from the tractor in association with Midas. Midas uh, Agritize, the choice of leading manufacturers. Midas Agritize, European quality, made affordable. Uh, we've got uh, royalty. Um, on the pro- well, we had royalty and Frank Punts on the program, who literally is royalty. But I'm talking about Taranaki Sporting royalty. You know the impressive Mount Taranaki dominates the region's landscape. Grant, it's almost famous for its rolling farmland, native forests, surf beaches, and natural resources. I don't need to tell you that, Grant. Um, I don't need to tell you. Uh, we've got a wonderful all-round athlete and uh, a world, a world champ. Uh, our tales of the tractor guest this week is Jack Jordan, uh, former rugby player of some repute, but. Uh, World champion in uh, that, that wonderful sport, and he joins us uh, somewhere in the Naki. Welcome in, Jack. How are you doing today? How's it going, Jack? Good, thanks, guys. How's it going? Yeah, we're great. We're, we're in the Naki you're based. Working the land, no yeah. doubt, like real men, not like us cafe swillers. <laughs> I actually, um, I grew up in Taranaki, but I'm based 45 minutes out of Tamanui in the King Country. Um, yeah, down the end of a road on a 4,000-acre farm down here. Ah, right. Do they have to pay a big transfer fee to get you over? Nah, nah, nah. Nah, this is actually... I'm on the farm that I was, um, that I was born on, bloody 26 years ago. So, yeah, just moved back um, since I finished playing rugby and, yeah, and whatnot, and been down ever since, ever since really, yeah. When did you pull stumps on your rugby career? So I've got to put everything in sort of a cricketing uh, parlance so Grant understands. <laughs> um, well, I still play a bit of club rugby in that, but um, oh, the last time I was... With Taranaki was um, a couple of years ago, I think, before I broke me uh, broke my kneecap. So it's been Whoa! Whoa! How do you break your kneecap, mate? Oh. Sounds uh, awful. Oh, I don't know rugby, I suppose. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I, we're just on outs and buddy, but unlucky. But um, I, I guess that's the way it goes. That's the way the sport goes. Yeah. Did Did you realise you had broken the the kneecap, or did you just keep going till the end of the game and then go, "Oh, my knee's no. just a little bit sore." We were actually um, we were doing some line-out drills and um, a couple of us got the line-out call wrong and we just sort of collided in the middle and my knee hit his knee and obviously got on the wrong spot. And um, at the time, didn't really notice it too much at all. It wasn't until about 10 minutes later. Um, I couldn't, couldn't bend my knee when we went down to do scrums. Um, so I thought, shit, I've got something wrong with me, yeah. <laughs> and, um, so you wandered around with a broken kneecap for 10 minutes. Absolutely yeah, fine. Uh, it wasn't. It wasn't until it um, started seizing up that it gave me a bit of grief. But um, once she seized up, she was in some pain. <laughs> <laughs> I bet nothing like a tight calf, eh, Grant? I can't play today. My my calf's a little yeah. Tight. Broken kneecap though. Keep going. A <laughs> couple more overs. So, Jack, tell us then. When did you get into the the sport of wood chopping? Where timber you became? Well, what is the official term for us ignoramuses? Is it timber sports? Is that what, what we um, should be calling it? Well, there's the normal conventional wood chopping, and then there's still timber sports as well, which is sort of which is more to do with the chainsaws and the um, souped-up chainsaws and that. But generally, we call it wood chopping. It's just a couple times each year we have um, the still timber sports events to yeah to go to. But um, I I first started with the sport when I was uh, about 11, 11 or twelve. Um, I sort of followed along footsteps of me older brother he he did it at high school and sort of as a kid getting dragged around the AMP shows watching him I guess just fell in love with the sport with the sport back then and um yeah rest is history I suppose 
So I want to I want to get this right there, Jack. You went to Vienna, um, and there were sixteen of the world's top ranked wood choppers. There was a crowd, they reckon, of three and a half thousand screaming Austrians. Um, they are strange people, the Austrians. <laughs> who know? And uh, there's a photo of you holding the trophy. You look really happy with yourself, and two very strapping, big, big massive units next to you. I want to know what wood choppers do after an event like this. Like, do you all sixteen of you? go to a function together um is there a local uh pub that you go to what was the the lead up to the wood chopping event and then post event as well um generally over there we all stay at the at the same at the same motel that's um that's all sort of uh put forward by um the header still so we're sort of all in the same place and um, every still event that I've been to over there, we've just um, yeah had a few beers at the motel afterwards, which has generally been pretty good. Um, this time was probably probably a bit different because it was we usually go over it's for a teams event as well, so you got at least five people from each country. Um, whereas this time was obviously only one person from each, from each country, and there wasn't a whole lot of people there that could um, speak English because yeah, English ain't the bloody the most used language over there, so it's sort of <laughs> sort of. A, Sometimes, but wasn't too bad. They um, also uh, the beer is pretty well renowned for being pretty good over in Europe. But um, <laughs> after the yeah, after the World Trophy, they put on this function at the hotel. But they um, they had a sponsored craft beer, and it was bloody terrible. Um, yeah, took a bit of chewing to get down, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. Leave that to us, Wellingtonians, mate. Um, <laughs> none of that nonsense. Yeah, you happy with that answer? Yeah. Were you expecting I, they'd go to a karaoke room and, and you know do their best impersonation I, of Ultravox in Vienna? No, I'm I'm no. really happy with that breakdown. I do have one other question though. What about mental disintegration prior to um, the the World Championship event? Is there a lot of flexing? Are there a couple people that you know walk past you in the hotel and give you a little shoulder bump or anything? Is there any intimidation going into it before um, the event happens? No, I don't know. It could be, but I yeah, don't take too much notice of it, I guess. Um, but we, we all get on pretty good. Like we all bloody talk to each other before and afterwards, and you know we're, we're sort of all pretty good mates. So yeah, makes it makes it good, I suppose. I, I'm loving the names, the double-barrelled names. So we got uh, Jack Jordan. Uh, you can check him out on Instagram at lumberjack uh, underscore Jordan. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, we, we've also got um, oh, what's his name, Cleveland Cherry. What a brilliant double-barrelled name, uh, another man in that sphere. But, um, Jack, take us back to when you fell in love with it at 11 or 12. What what really drew drew you into the woodchopping element? Was it just what, the, the fair physicality of it all, or was it because the family were involved? Please paint that picture. I think it was probably because the family was involved at the start. Um, yeah, I just always loved the idea of cutting a piece of wood in half as fast as you can, I guess, but... Having family there certainly, yeah, certainly helped help fall in love with it, I think, yeah. Again, for us um, uh, uninitiated, how thick are these, these blocks of wood? How quickly do you get them through? Actually, give us the maths of it all. Oh, it's, so we, we cut anything from uh, 10 inches to 15 inch, and it sort of, depending on the wood, the times can vary. Yeah, they can be all over the show, really. Like a, a 15 inch underhand, sometimes that'll take that can take between 30 seconds up to a minute, if you know what I mean. 
Um, whereas them smaller logs, like 12 inch and 11 inch and that, um, you know, you could be could be all over between 10 and 15 seconds. Holy heck! So, like Grant Elliott's thighs would be all of three inches wide, wouldn't they? So you're talking one strike there to get through Grant's leg? <laughs> yeah, probably wouldn't take too much to get through the old leg. <laughs> Harry Javelin. Uh, Harry Javelin would not last. <laughs> no, my legs wouldn't last. But it doesn't look like uh, I'm built for wood chopping. I must admit, when I look at the photos of the, the, the wood chopping event. But, uh, Jack, tell me about, um, you know, the crossover from rugby to wood chopping. Do you still get that same sort of sense of, I guess adrenaline and you know crowd participation, fans watching it. Is there, is there quite a buzz around it? Um, yeah, I think I think wood chopping's probably a little bit different. Um, as far as the crowd and that goes, you don't. Yeah, I certainly never took any notice of it. To be fair, I yeah, always focus on chopping my log and half as as quick as I could and worried about what I was doing. You sort of as big as big as the crowd is, you don't yeah. You, you don't you hardly even hear it over there, um, but yeah, it's it's certainly pretty similar to wood uh, wood chopping and rugby, I guess. Yeah. Hey, last one from me, Jack, and we th- so appreciate your time. What's next? You know, you've you, you've had international competitions this year. As far as the next twelve months, as far as the competitive juices in, in your system, how are you going to get those out? Um, I head to Sweden uh, end of October for the four man teams race. We're um, New Zealand will cut against all the other countries over there. So head over there with a team of guys from New Zealand here, and um, after that we'll just yeah see how, see how it goes, I suppose. Um, plan to go overseas, over to Australia a couple of times. Um, hoping all goes well on that, but we'll just take as it comes, I guess, yeah. Tell you what, you're going to be popular in Sweden, my friend. I tell you what, very popular in Sweden. I, I'm sure you will be. Hey, thanks so much, Jack, for joining us. Um, go wealth. Um, keep up the fine work, and uh, we look forward to following your progress. Thanks a lot, Jack. Yeah, sounds good. Thank you very much. Uh, our uh, Tales from the Tractor, in association with Midas. Midas Agritires, made in Europe and trusted by leading equipment manufacturers worldwide. European quality doesn't have to break the bank. Ask for Midas Agritires for your equipment. You know, Swedish men, I'm going to make a massive generalisation here. Hello to all my Swedish friends. They spend way too much time in front of the mirror. They're preen to exception. Jack and Jack and the and the woodchopping team are going to get a whole heap of attention. Do you reckon that that rugged man yes. look would stand out? Absolutely. Athlete? Yeah. Absolutely. I have heard that about Swedish men. I remember my um, spend more time in front of the mirror than the women. Well, my brother went over and I said, "What's it like?" And he said, "It's actually just really frustrating. They all look the same. The men and women, they just." You know, absolutely beautiful, but yep. perfect, like perfect sort of faces. So you reckon a couple of... Oh, yeah, they fell off the ugly tree and missed every branch. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's no denying that. They got no no bag of smashed crabs walking One, around there. part of the world. Oh, the memories are coming flooding back. <laughs> do we have to take a break now, boss? Yes, we do. It's 25 away from 1 o'clock. We'll catch up with the good oil team uh, in Clado, but we're going to head to uh, New Plymouth and race number one which jumps in just under five minutes' time. Stay with us. Well, don't ask me for some uh, insightful analysis of uh, who crossed. There's a photo for first, second, and third. Looks like Sherado. You think? Because I, I had um, my money on a drop of something that came on the outside, number eight. But we're just having a look now, and it looks like probably Sherado, number seven. Don't take my word for it. Seven edging eight with uh, two in the game. Sherado, then third. drop of something, and then... 
number two. You might be right there, Grant. Well done, you. Was, I look. Told you I should call these races. <laughs> G'day, Clado. He's talking himself up again. <laughs> Hello, Clado. Hey, boys. I, I thought uh, I thought Grant did call that and just did a Tony Lee impression. If only we had voices like Tony Lee. Oh, oh magic, isn't it? Yeah. We've been Lovely. blessed with some of the best of race callers in the world throughout our life. Sid Tonks and Peter Kelly and Reg Clapp and, gee, there have been some absolute legends. Keith Hobb over the years. We've always been blessed. It's, it's a real art. It's not easy. So you guys want to have a couple of practices. But you know, I think you went the right what, way, no, there, Grant. You know, you know Clado, I, I don't want any of this because I, I hold that group of um, uh, fine callers you've just uh, mentioned and with reverence. My, my mate to my right here clearly does not. He thinks he can pull it off. No, good well, luck to you, I say, Grant. I, I look, I look, look forward to the end of your broadcasting career. What makes a good caller, Clado? <laughs> what What makes a good caller? Fluency, command of English. That counts me out for a start. That just you go off the colours, you get a feel for it, um, pace, and yeah, just. Every now and then you pop something in there to brighten up the commentary. But, yeah, pun- punters just want to hear, and owners, you just want to hear first across the line, and you got that one right, Sharada, I reckon. Yep, Sharada did. It's official 7, 8, and 2. There we go. So English being my second language, I would struggle. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Unfortunately. <laughs> no, you know, still, without still our words. And... I think the accent will save you, though, you know. <laughs> what have you got uh, up after 1 o'clock? Uh, Mate, big... what's the highlight today as far as racing? Well, as far as racing, it's not a Group 1 day today, but we've got some good racing. We've got the Interprovincial Championship at New Plymouth. That's been uh, transferred from an abandoned meeting a while ago, so that's a well one of the famous races on the New Zealand calendar. It is extreme day at Taranaki, so we've got a race further than the Melbourne Cup. 3,210 metres, race eight at New Plymouth today. So stick around for that, because uh, the winner of that qualifies to go to the Jericho, which is... Around 4,600 metre flat race they run in Melbourne Holy for some heck. decent coin. And Rickerton, we've got the New Zealand Bloodstock Canterbury Bell Stakes for the three-year-old fillies. And boy, that's a really, really good field. And just to show you how close we are getting to the New Zealand Cup Week and Melbourne Cup, we've got the New Zealand Cup Trial Race 7. So we're into the home straight, boys, heading towards that Melbourne Cup and New Zealand Cup Week. Yeah, we can, you can smell spring, can't you? And you can, you can see November arriving. You certainly can. You feel it. We had our first group one of the season last week, and our next is on the 1st of October. So, yeah, she's all she's up and rolling. Australia got the jump on us. More group one racing over there today. And we've brought in Million Dollar Man, Leith Innes. Last ride, oh, Million Dollar Race, jumps off and goes, that's me done, boys. That's how you do it. Leith, Leith and Louie alongside you. That's a lethal combination. Good luck to you, Clado. Will you join me as we wrap this up, sending our condolences for Hawks Bay for losing the Shield tonight? Whoa! You make a call. Yeah, I'm making a call. Yeah, he's made a really home. big call. He it's made it come, early as well. No, it's come. No, I won't <laughs> sing. I'm not Grant Elliott. Clado, thanks for joining us. Have a great show, my friend. Appreciate it. If it's thanks, half as Clado. good as yours, half as good as your show, we'll be going all right. You're probably right there. Actually, we hate to find the face of public opinion. Back after this break with our sporting punts. You need to run a mile from. Right, final chapter of the program. It is nine minutes away from one o'clock. Uh, can I get him in a late nomination for my uh, good week, bad week? Uh, sorry about this. Absolutely. I, I don't want to make the same mistake from uh, missing the shot. I had a shocker last week, Ben Francis. Uh, I did not nominate the goalkeeper who was sent off in the FA Cup tie for urinating in a hedge. Yep, that actually happened. He was sent <laughs> off because he nipped off to chase the ball and decided to relieve himself and then was sent off. 
Um, I can't believe I, I missed that opportunity to nominate him for Good Week, Bad Week last week. I'm not going to um, miss the chance to nominate Dina Elgar, um, who was um, adjudged LBW bold Stuart Broad uh, in the second innings of the Test match. Um, and he basically walked, Grant. He walked. I'm he walked watching be- it now. He walked before the umpire's fingers off. He walked. And then um, didn't hang around. And then on review, it was missing. Well, he's walked past his partner now, Peterson, and he's just sh- shaking his head saying, no, I'm not going to review that. But you're right. It's missing league stuff. He's just walked off. He's just, <laughs> just walked off. Walked for an LB. So Dean Elgar, late nomination for bad week. Never walk on an LB, don't you, Grant? Good week for Brendan McCallum, though. Uh, getting talked up even more as uh, the coach of the England uh, setup. He's had a he had a good summer. Six out of seven tests. Yeah, that is excellent for a team that had won from memory one out of twelve. Oh, they've been it? rubbish. The turnaround one out of results. Yeah. huge. Um, of course, like any international side playing away from home is a big test. A lot of sides do struggle, so we follow that with great interest. All right, Grant, how did your um? How did your 19-leg multi go last week in the Heartland Championship? Well, if you listen to the show, and I know you do because, you know, we are one of the biggest shows on the weekend. Um, I actually On a Saturday, we're the only sports show. <laughs> That's why we're the highest-rated sports show on SCNZ. <laughs> on a Saturday. <laughs> on a Saturday. Uh, I missed out with two of my legs. I was worried about West Coast versus Buller. West Coast didn't pull through, and North Otago lost to Mid-Canterbury, and they should have won that. So that was my... Six leg multi, so true to form. I'm going to oh, go. You're going to go back another six oh, leg multi and a hot championship. So I'm going to go for Canterbury to beat Counties, Auckland to beat Tasman, North Otago to beat Horrifano Capity, Thames Valley to beat Buller, West Coast to beat East Coast, and Mid Canterbury to bring King Country, uh, which gives you a four dollar fifty three return. Wow. Is, there must be a couple of dollar o ones in then then. No, there's no dollar o ones. I don't, I don't like I'm the just dollar thinking, o ones. No, the head to head. Yeah, Poverty Bay, uh, Wanganui. Wanganui is paying a dollar one head to head, and South Canterbury is paying a dollar one. So that's why sickly multi still only four bucks. No, I didn't put those ones in. I made sure there was ah, no you ones. removed those. My yeah, apologies. Take, take those other, I, I, otherwise, it would have been an eight leg multi. I, should, and I didn't want to put anyone through that. I should probably listen. <laughs> what have you got for me? No, Ben Francis is going next. We're breaking up his. Oh, we're yes. breaking his streak. Grant, why? We have why? Because you. I'm so consistently good at it. You're, I know. You're trying, you're trying to ruin a great thing here. Yeah, for those who are new to this show, where have you been? Is the first thing I would say. And Ben Francis is making a killing, basically betting against our bet. <laughs> it seems to be working very well for bad him. karma. Yeah, bad karma. It's bad juju. It's bad juju. So you don't have a bet. You were literally going to jump in and do the opposite. Nah, I, I wasn't, but I see there's a text come through here from Ian, and he says, Hi Grant, bet you a beer that Hawks Bay win by 15. So I'm kind of tempted to say Hawks Bay will beat Wellington by 15 points, so there might be some beers being shouted. Well done, Ian, for actually hitting up the right guy on the show who will actually pay his be- his debts. Um, yeah, I will. I, w- I, do, I, w- I would I, find a way to weasel out of that. I do pay my debts, so Ian, let me know. But I'll have to say, Ian, from the Hawks Bay, that if Wellington win, I'll have a nice little uh, Negroni. Oh, how very Wellington of you. Yeah. Going to have a Negroni to celebrate. Uh, it's Negroni week. Oh, right, of course. It's Negroni it week. It is. Uh, I'm going to multi for me. Uh, English Premier League Tottenham play uh, Leicester. Leicester at bottom of the table. Harry Kane, I know he looks a little bit out of form, uh, but he scored 19 goals in his career against Leicester more than any other <laughs> side. That's a lot. So uh, Harry Kane has scored at any time, $1.67. Yeah, still quite short odds. Mm. Um, and I'm also, I'm going to have to, 
I'm, I'm going to have to, you know, back my chat from earlier. I'll go Wellington paying about 240. Oh, you hear paying. that, Ian? Do you yeah. hear that? So, Wellington to win the Shields, Hurricane to score, I think that's paying about 420. Good luck making money not on those bets, people. Oh, no, you will. I reckon I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run home with my six-leg multi this week. And Ben, have you got any pithy comment to finish? Have a great weekend, guys. Oh, <laughs> I'll, I'll, save, killing I'll, us. I'll save the real comments for when we're off here. Yeah, killing us with kindness. Thank you all. Thank you to all the callers after 10. It was great fun. We'll do it again next Saturday, Grant. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Daniel. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, the listeners. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.